Hello again, everyone. Thank you for checking in again with the I Got Asked podcast. I know it's been a few years, but I am back, and I hopefully I can get some more uh, recorded here and released sometime soon. Um, before I get into introducing uh, today's guests, I just want to say a big thank you again for anyone that's listened in the past or who is tuning in right now. Um, I had some big motivation to start doing this again, and I started lining up guests, and I recorded a couple, but unfortunately, this whole pandemic thing has put a huge damper on everything. Um, very hard to get people to come and record episodes, and I'm not really set up for doing Skype stuff just yet. I'm going to try it and see how it goes. I'm going to do some test runs very soon and hopefully get some more episodes recorded. But for the time being, I'm going to release the the two that I have uh, recorded and finished editing and everything else. So uh, without further ado, I want to tell you about my guests today. So my guests today were John Elder and Ryan Vineardwick, friends of mine for years. Uh, we've been making music together off and on for probably the better part of, you know, two and a half decades or anyway, two decades. And... Um, you know, I've known John's older brother, uh, Matt, who I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about Matt Elder on the podcast before, if you're a regular listener. And um, just a couple of great guys, and I love talking to them. And I just thought, why not sit down with them and talk about recording and talk about the music that we've made together and the music that they've made in the past that I maybe haven't been a part of, and just some of their, their motivations and their inspirations. And we just had a really fun time. It's kind of all over the place the first half hour, but uh, it was a fun conversation. If you know us, it's going to be extra fun because you're going to get to hear some behind-the-scenes stuff um, and maybe some stuff that you actually lived through and were a part of as well. So uh, just had a really good time with these guys. Uh, I'm not going to put a big... um, big intro in front of this thing because really it was kind of just a very impromptu conversation i invited them both over and we just had a couple of beers and some chats and we just had a really good time i mean um like i said they're both a couple of really good guys and i love talking to them off the mics and i thought why not put it on mic so uh without further ado i hope you enjoy the episode here's john elder and ryan vineyardwick song by the brand bands that's amazing <coughs> that was a good song it was all right it wasn't their best work uh i like the one with the uh curtis mayfield are we talking about here uh brand van 3000 brand van 3000 they, drinking in la yeah they, yeah they had one song where they got for permission to use a unused was curtis one, mayfield vocal was astounded the, was it the one where it was just the chick singing it's the one with uh no it's the one with the people kissing and the camera going around them endlessly it's like early 2000s. Don't remember. It's not a bad one. All right. So welcome back, everybody. I know it's been a while since we did one of these things, but uh, it's back. And I am uh, glad to have two of my good friends here with me, longtime friends, probably some of my oldest friends here, John Elder and Ryan Vineardwick. How you doing, gentlemen? Hey! Not too bad. Thank you for coming tonight and being the helped me record the first one back. Thrilled. It's always nerve-wracking. I didn't really didn't want to do it with strangers or someone I wasn't super familiar with, so I'm happy it's you two here, and we can hey. just bullshit for however long we do this. I'm full of bullshit. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> for those of you that don't know out there, um, if you're listening, it's probably because you know either myself or John or Ryan or, or all of us or a combination of, of these individuals. So... Um, but for those of you that don't know, um, I just want you guys to introduce yourselves a little bit. Um, tell me about what you've been up to since high school for the people that are listening that maybe do know who, you, <laughs> who we are. Um, we're going to get into John. You just recently recorded some music and just put yes. some stuff out. 
um, under the moniker Tremendous Gentleman. Is that the album <laughs> name or the or the band name or both? A uh, bit of both. Bit of both. Yeah. So since high school, uh, so one point lost in high school. Yes. A lot of music, a lot of shows. This was the band that you were in with your brother and Rob? Probably was the cause of me dropping out of high school. <laughs> really? Was it under that name at the time, or was it under a different name? One Point Loss? What was the original name? Curious Ryan? Yeah. Who's oh, the, shit. Who's that named after? You. Yeah. That's what I wanted to talk about. So, like, <clears throat> going back, I guess we should go back to sort of those high school days. I want to talk about all this band stuff, because all of us have been in these bands together over the years, um, off and on, and... I wanted to talk a little bit about the origins of, of Curious Ryan's. So maybe, maybe we'll start there. Let's do that. Yeah. So in high school, you were playing bass at the time, right, John? The first bass player in that was Kevin Schoenfeld. Was he? Or was in oh, Curious Oh, because it was after Waterhead. That's right. Oh, didn't he? Wasn't he the transition? And then... God, you guys would know better. I know, I know that the partial origin was the parties that you used to throw at your parents house that's what i remember that's what i remember curious From, ryan being like a like a yeah house, maybe i'm wrong like i don't remember seeing any curious ryan actual shows only or, like house shows oh no i'm wrong sorry the, the origin of those parties might have been the curious ryan message board on your website oh my god do you remember that i i i don't know i was like or at least some some of the names i'm like i don't know who these people are 15. i met later at your party i'm like oh i know you guys because <laughs> You know? <laughs> oh my God. Okay, yeah. so Curious Ryan was you. On, well, <clears throat> the, the iteration that you remember. It, we, it, we may, we've sort of established that Brett Schoenfeld may or may not have been in that band. But Kevin Schoenfeld, his little brother, who was. Uh, oh, Kevin anyways, Schoenfeld. Anyways, I think. Oh, right. I think. I don't know if I was. I don't know. It was <laughs> over half my life ago. It's weird to think that. Yeah. This is yeah. a great little history we got going on here. Ooh. Nobody can remember anything. <laughs> That's a version of the truth, I guess. And just before we were talking on, you know, recording this, Ryan and I were talking about how when you bring up things that happened a long time ago, everyone has a different yep. opinion or yeah. just remembers it in a different way, different touch, different... Because memories are bullshit. They don't... Yeah. They're not... They're not... Isn't it funny that most... Yeah. You're going to forget most of everything that happened to you? Ooh. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, this, we're going to misremember this moment. That's why we were recording it. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the, and that's why I wanted to have you guys on to see if you kind of remembered a little more than I did. Because going back, like, here's what I remember from those early days of, like, that that Cambridge. Yeah, like, let's, let's hear what you remember. Cambridge. So here's what I remember about Cambridge Pop Punk. Like, before One Point Loss. This is, like, well before One Point Loss was even a thing. I remember Curious Ryan yeah. being yourself, Matt, you playing drums, I believe. I was never in the band. I was just kind of an honorary mascot, I guess. Okay, but you did, <laughs> but you did drum on some songs. I did. I do remember them playing with you drumming. I don't remember. No, I never played drums. You're, you're thinking of Waterhead. Well, it must be Waterhead. Then. Yeah, because Kevin Schoenfeld was bass in Waterhead. Okay, so who's playing drums then in Curious Ryan? That was Sean. Yeah, that sounds that about Sean. right. Okay, so then it was so it was Matt, Sean, uh, Rob, I guess Rob Hughes singing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then you on bass, John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then from that, Curious Ryan sort of disbanded or whatever, broke up. Matt yeah. and Sean joined Broken Star. Yeah, that's a good. They went down to a, they went down to Boston to record an album, and during that recording, decided that's not what they wanted to do. And Sean and Matt came back. This is again. This is just my memory because I remember Matt calling me and being like. Sean's quitting the bit. He cut, see, this is the kind of thing I wish Matt was here so I could give him shit for this. But I remember this. It's he, he kind of messed with me a little bit. He called me up from Boston and said, "Hey, listen, 
I'm thinking about coming home um, because Sean is is quitting Broken Star. And I'm like, what do you mean Sean's quitting Broken Star? Like, you guys just got signed to to Tank Records and you're recording, Tank records, you're recording an album. Like, what what's happening here? And yeah. then Matt's like, well, <clears throat> that's why I wanted to ask you. Like, what do you think about him joining this band with Rob, this, like, pop-punk band? And I was, like, I was pissed because I loved Broken Star at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, they're going to stop and do, like, pop-punk when they're in this awesome, like, you know, I don't even know what you would classify Broken Star as, but... You know, they, they were a great band, heavy band, um, still punk-ish, right? You guys would know more than I would. Tank Records, what's the deal with, what I is that? I have no idea. I don't remember. Was, I, that, was, was that a, a label? Deal? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a label out of the States, right? It wasn't like... I remember the logo. Yeah, it wasn't anything Was it huge. a tank? <laughs> I don't know. No, it was actually a bus. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those, like, punk labels. I think it was a subsidiary of somebody else. Oh, okay. But I don't know. It was the thing. It was, yeah. like, one of the first things it was that just, happened to, like... A local band, like yeah, it was just cool that it was like absolutely someone that we knew <coughs> as close as we were with with Matt, obviously and Sean, yeah. to be in a band that was like you know quote unquote signed to a label, like that For was sure. a huge absolutely. deal. That was the first people I ever knew. We were that kids, was to a label. yeah, you know. Andy was uh, <coughs> the put out good tunes, mm -hmm. good tunes, strong tunes. So it was, uh, yeah, yeah so, it was real. So then Matt you know? tells me this, and, and I get you know mad. I tell him oh, that's a stupid idea, Matt. Like I wish they weren't doing that. Why are they breaking up like Broken Star? This is dumb. And then he comes back, <clears throat> him and Rob, and then I, and then that's when they told me that that they actually made the choice together, um, Sean, Rob, and Matt, to start One Point Loss and immediately re record some songs. So not long after that, they went and recorded that three song demo, that great three song demo that we still play when we play shows. The with songs off that. Which songs? Um, Is that with eighties hair? No, 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 no. It's it was the the really produced one, like the the oh change. Yeah, change. Oh and right. Someone who cares and super bring produced. You down or whatever. It's yeah, called. not the one that you guys did the two inch tape where it was no 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 half a joke. I think you did Wally or something. That was bef right before. Okay. Yeah. So the the one that three song demo. Yeah. Was the first time that. Uh, I guess we really saw progress that came from a well-recorded, well-mastered, well-put-together little project, little art project, you know? What's his name, Murray? Murray, Murray exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he did a few other bands. I forget what bands, but it was after we did oh, that. I, I remember who it was, Not By Choice. That was the one. Yeah. And it was like things really started to move after that, like... I don't know. I guess it was radio friendly. It was, I don't know. It just worked and it clicked and the time was right. I remember seeing Matt and Sean at the Black Badger downtown, like, I don't know, months after they recorded that, not long after. And I had, they had somehow gotten a copy to me and I'd heard it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, the, the only thing I could think to tell them, other than that I really liked the tunes, obviously, was that it sounded really uh, professional and produced, which. For at the time, I hadn't heard any local bands record anything that sounded that good. Even the album that Broken Star recorded in Boston. It was raw. Yeah, it didn't yeah. sound that good. And when I heard this One Point Lost stuff, I was like, this is probably the closest any of my friends are going to be to, to quote-unquote making it in a super band. Super clean. It was yeah. super clean. You know, yeah. you know what that was? That Was was that around like 2002, 2003, something like that? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. been so That would have been like near the dawn of home recording and multi-track to a computer yeah. and hard drive being a normal thing. Well, it was after Sean had got his his setup for his studio. Like he had had No, it was a little before that cuz I remember Sean and I were having a discussion back then. We had a crazy pipe dream that we would somehow buy this 
almost million dollar house and then rent out to like five people to live there and then the yeah. math didn't work out and we would have never got the mortgage but in our heads we're like <laughs> oh we can uh you know we we can uh get this house and, and rent it to five people and we can work at like subway because we like all this money it'll just work out we'll, we'll be able to pay the mortgage as long as nobody moves out yeah <laughs> and and uh we Three subs yeah we looked at some houses in like if you look at uh <coughs> if you're driving down the 401 you go to mavis road or past mavis road all those houses were being built at the time mm -hmm. right there and we, we made the mistake of looking at a really fancy one and they all the other ones look like shit yeah but at the time we had this crazy idea and it was it, it came after the Murray recording because Sean said, "Oh yeah, he's using a sonar to record and uh, and just a PC." And I think he had a, I want to say it was a Motu multi-track interface or something, mm -hmm. and it sounded pretty good. And we're like, "Well, we can get we can do that too." Right. Um, we never did, obviously, but yeah. I mean, Sean eventually kind of got in that game later on, yeah, with Pro Tools. But I mean, that was the first iteration of attempting to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when he got all the stuff. Like, I remember he. Yeah, you're right. It must have been after One Point Lost because I remember him telling me that the stuff he was getting was very similar to what they recorded on to you um, to record those <laughs> tracks with Murray. Like it was, it was, I think it was a real Pro Tool setup. Yeah, a yeah. computer that cost a fortune, a, a sound card that was like ten grand. Yeah, um, yeah. Pro Tools at the time, I think, was like five grand. It was insane. Oh yeah, because back then the only version of it was that HD version where you had the DSPs on the cards because computers were too yeah. slow to handle all those right, tracks. Right, at the same right, right. So yeah, it was. Uh, I just remember him on his floor of his mom's like uh, living room unpacking all this oh, super yeah. expensive stuff, and oh. I'm just like, he's like, yeah, here's ten grand, here's five grand, here's the blue bottle, here's the blue bottle microphone blue that bottle. I got, and oh, yeah. we, we did all kinds of tests <coughs> that the world should never hear, but they were pretty funny. Yeah, it's like with that gear you're talking. Yeah, about? just the just first. See what it just would be do. like, hey, let's try to record something just to say we did, you yeah. know, because we're just learning this stuff. Right. And, oh shit! And you think about where it is now, where. He sold it. He sold it to somebody in the States, didn't he? I have no idea. But I mean, like, you can do a lot with not much these days. Like, a lot of shit sounds it's, it's good. It's almost better to do it with less because you can get so lost in those plugins. Oh, and shit. When you, start, when you start getting too into the thought process of, like, all the sounds, you fucking forget about this song writing. Yeah, it's like you get distracted by the tools. You and know? then it's just, I don't know. It, it, I mean... The tech game behind it all is a lot of fun. Oh, it's amazing, and, and the emulations now of like oh, analog shit. hardware is so much better than it used to be. And to, when you're able to capture those tones of like when you can make your bass sound so fat and yeah, just beautiful, or just the perfect snare sound. Oh and yeah, it's I don't know. That's great. That yeah. all that side of it is great. But when you start losing focus on the songs, you you're. That's, the sounds can be amazing, and your song can be a piece of shit. I would argue that is the big downfall of songwriting now, or right. is the lack of, is people forgot about modulation and tension, and they're just like, oh, I'm just going to do this run-of-the-mill chord progression and whatever. Yeah, they, great sounds, but... Yeah, but like empty songwriting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how long did it take you guys to record that album then? Like how long were you at Murray's studio? Or where did you record it at? Was it Murray's studio or was he just the producer? It was Murray's studio. It was... Remember that place was called? Uh, no. Uh, I was pretty bad with memory. <laughs> I don't know if it had a name. <laughs> if it had a name, I, I, if it had a name honestly, I never knew. I was 16 maybe. 
a little bit wild. Were you that young, 16, when you guys recorded that? Well, I was younger than everyone. Cause yeah, but no, we were already, probably, we were well out of high school. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, we were well out of high school at that point. Well out of high school? Uh, I was, for sure. It was If it was if we're talking 0203, well, I would have been in 84 years. You're in 84 birth. That was 2002. So, so, yeah. so 2002, I would have been 16. Yeah. Wow. No, no. 2001, I was 17. Yeah. 2001, I was 17. Hmm. So, uh, see, there's my memory thing. <laughs> uh, we recorded it in Toronto in Murray's, Murray's studio. Yeah, that's the name. Might have been. <laughs> yeah, M M M M Murray. Like muff? Is it a subsidiary of muffins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh, so we recorded. I think I forget how long it took. Uh, it was quick. He helped with the arrangements. Oh, he did? Yeah. Uh, I remember he came to Kyle's house one day and was like, all right, let's kind of cut this down. Let's trim this up. Get it clean. Get it moving. You know, a tight little machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after that, we recorded it and uh, didn't take long. I think a lot of the magic was done on the, the old computer. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, once that was done, uh, we got... Then you started playing shows, right? You started, you got signed up with yeah, the we, agency group for exactly, booking. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and shit. And you started playing all over the place. Yeah. Mostly and, uh, mostly in Toronto, right? So, yeah, we were kind of running that circle, which was going really well. Things were going really well, but, like, you know, every band in history is just, I mean, I was still in high school. and. Mm -hmm. Were like, you still, like, literally actively in high school, like you were still oh, attending yeah, yeah, classes yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff? Yeah, so like so some nights we'd play shows and then the next day I'd have school and I'd go in just like you know, not hundred <laughs> well, percent. Not even fifty percent. No, not even close. Twenty yeah, percent. Yeah. But you're pretty hyped about what you were working on. <laughs> what do you mean? Well music. Yes, working on music, absolutely. Loved it. Yeah, how can you not be? But uh it was uh I don't know. It was, you know, life life. Yeah, but uh, it was an amazing experience. Played some amazing shows, mm -hmm. great memories, and learned a lot. Learned a lot about how to play shows, how to promote for shows, how to get people to shows, how to. Uh... Yeah, and that's something I always hated doing was like the the promotion for the shows because back then, like when I, when I was playing in the band in high school with those guys, they. There was no, like, <clears throat> the internet was so new at the time. There was no, like, message boards well, they for were, our local they, stuff. They were all segregated. There's no social media. Ex exactly. Yeah. There was no social media. There was no way to easily tell everybody that, hey, we're going to be here on this night. Like, we just played One Point Losses, still doing the odd show here and there. We just played at the Kiwi last year. Last year? Yeah. Maybe it was a year and a half ago now. I don't know. But um, when we played there, all we had to do was put it on social media, and we sold 200 tickets to this little place in, like, a couple of days and and it was sold out in like two or three days yeah. after we put back, the tickets out. Back then, you'd you never to, be able to do that back then. You'd have to post flyers a month in advance and try. You to, have to be loud. Like yeah. you had to be loud back then. You had to be in your face and ye loud. And if you're not loud back then, like fucking no one was going out. Yeah. Like you had to let it be known and you had to. I don't know. Just. Slut yourself. Well, out there. Rob was really good at it because he'd stand out front of play. Like I remember when he went on tour. Amazing with, job. He did such yeah. a good job. Well, that was kind of his. That kind of was his thing, right? It was like being social, sociable, social, sociable. What's the sociable? Sociable, maybe. <laughs> um, 
yeah, 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 yeah. That was his. That was his <laughs> game, right? Is. Like he he was the friendly guy in the band. Like he oh, was. Fuck. When he was on stage, it was like you knew you were in good hands. Yeah. Even still, when I see him play, he makes me laugh all the time. Yeah. It's just like, just kind of give you a wink and. Yeah. Just, I don't know, man. He's got the magic of being able to make. Charisma? You feel good. Charisma! Yeah, he does. He definitely has that charisma. And yeah, that, he was always That helps good. get people into the shows, too. And I remember, Absolutely. Uh, and, like, I don't know, but I think by the time One Point Lost was started, the, like, the the MySpace thing was already around, and it was starting to get a little bit more easy to tell people where you were going to be. But before that, like, anything up to, like, 2000 was tough to Oh, it was all tough to get the message out. It was yeah. a lot of word of mouth. And yeah, like there's a, like we had to mail a lot of letters to people. There was a lot of stamps. That's insane. No, we didn't really do that. Oh, <laughs> I, I I wish that was true because that would be an insane piece of history. Pigeons. Um, we had to send pigeons everywhere. Okay, so then what happened? So you so you played a bunch of shows. So here's what I remember because I remember hearing. What do you remember? Well, I remember that you guys got. I heard you were signed to the agency group, which I thought was a big deal. I thought, well, that's one step closer to making it. Shit, you know? Yeah. And then you were playing a bunch of shows around Toronto area, but not many around here. Like, I think I only saw you guys playing Kitchener, like, once. And then, not too long after that, it seemed like everything just stopped. The band just stopped. So how, do you remember if there was, like, a point where you realized, okay, this is this is kind of over for right now? Like, I, was there a discussion that happened, uh, or did you guys kind of just stop playing, or did you leave the, how did you get off the agency group? Like, how did that all go down? I think it just kind of fizzled out. <clears throat> I quit. You did? Yeah. I uh, just wasn't in in it. Just wasn't in it. You yeah. know what I mean? So another thing about the whole thing was I never wrote anything. Yeah. Uh, wasn't quite my style of music. It was, uh, yeah, and I mean, again, like at that time I dropped out of high school just doing other things and just wasn't quite mentally in the zone to be doing it. And you're still finding yourself, right? Yeah. Back then, right? Yeah. You don't know who you are or what you're into yet. Yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, and then I think Sean dropped out, and then once two of us were gone, it kind of just yeah took the wind out of the system. Yeah. But, I mean, the beautiful thing about all this is, None of us have ever stopped making music. No. You know, it wasn't the end of, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, it's, there's still so much more, which is, it's, a, out of everyone I know, basically it's, it's nice that the core group are still making music, we're still involved with it, still inspired by it, still, well, I still feel like there's more to come, more, uh, just... It just it was kind of a catalyst for everything that came later. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's the weird thing. The domino. weird thing to me about it is like we're we're still we're still kind of doing the one point loss thing. We're still playing the odd show here and there. We're kind of getting set up to play a couple more come this spring. Um, and I know I wasn't an original member of the band, but somehow, you know, through osmosis, I ended up in this band playing rhythm guitar. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so it's it's nice that we're sort of continuing it. Um, but the thing that, that amazed me was that nobody ever formed another band like that that went on to like play a bunch of shows. Like after One Point Lost stopped, Matt, Rob, like they did the, the cover band thing. They're still doing that. They're playing in Shred Panner yeah. and playing a bunch of cover games. But nobody ever job. really did any other original music that um, 
that went anywhere as far as like a, a band, right? Like that was playing shows around local shows or whatever. Not that, playing shows is for me. I never liked it. Yeah, well, I, I know that from it. you and I know that from you and I playing like one point lost shows I, recently. Like I could tell how nervous you were. I don't like it. I don't like. Uh, <laughs> Which is amazing to me because you always play perfect and everything is fine, but <laughs> you're always so nervous ahead of the gig. I mean, I don't like it. You certainly. Did a spectacle for a while there and shows. <laughs> so, yeah, for a guy that would take for a guy that gets off. nervous, yeah, <laughs> you did a lot of uh, nudity the back then. That's the thing. I used to get so drunk before shows. Oh, that's what it was. That was part of it. I kind of was a streaker, anyways. <laughs> I've been streaking since <laughs> I was a kid. I know. <laughs> I remember the football games. Oh in the shit! High school with the gorilla mask. On. <laughs> I think I don't remember that shit. I do. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, playing shows, it's. Maybe I felt more nervous about it because it was a, a real art form. You yeah. go up there and you, it's something that you thought about, worked on. You know, it's an art project. And when you go and put that out to people, it's, uh, you know, it's something to... Well, that's how I feel. Like, even when we play gigs now, like, uh, you know, like I just said, you seem so nervous to me before we play a show. But you always play great and it's always a good time. And I'm always, you're, I think you have mentioned to me before that you're amazed how how not nervous I am. And the reason I'm not nervous when I play with you guys is because you're all awesome musicians, and it's easy for me to relax and know that as long as I play my parts, everything else is gonna is gonna fit, and we're gonna have a great show, and it's gonna be fine. But I always have to talk you off the ledge, <laughs> like it's gonna be fine, John. I'm gonna leave, Daryl. We're gonna leave We're gonna leave it. We're gonna play leaving. great. <laughs> I, that's how anxiety works, though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like the, the anticipation is yeah. worse than the actual thing you're anticipating. Yeah. It's like when you're like, I don't want to go to the gym. Then you go to the gym and you're like, Yeah, then it's fine. Yeah. I'm fucking so strong. Yeah. I'm the strongest guy alive. I'm the strongest, strongest guy alive. in the world. Strongest guy. Strongest guy at the whole gym. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just throwing that. machines across the room. Yeah, it's crazy. That's not me. Throwing 45 plates on your back and just walking around. Crushing it. Yeah, while doing like curl arm curls. While texting chicks. <laughs> just a bunch of chicks. A bunch of hot chicks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... Getting back to the the oh. other music stuff, so I know, <clears throat> I think you have been probably one of the only guys out of that band that has actually recorded albums and put them out since that band stopped, which is hilarious to me because your brother is like an amazing songwriter, Rob is an amazing songwriter, yeah. and nobody's really recorded it. Well, don't forget on the, in the interim there, there was the Dead Generation. Oh right, Ooh, dang. I forgot oh, about dang. that just all right now. And Blue Breeze, Blue Breeze. Oh yeah, Blue Breeze. See, that's why you're here. Because if I was doing a solo cast right now, I would have not remember any of this stuff. I, of course, Dead Generation. I just, I just, they're in my rotation in my like on my phone. You know what I mean? Like when I drive to and from work, they're always in the rotation. Occasionally, I find their CD in random boxes. Yeah, it's the same CD, but I find it. it, Yeah, it moves moves around. It moves around. (laughs) So for anybody out there that doesn't know, so Matt, John's brother, Matt Elder, is uh, formed a band with his long-term friend Brett Schoenfeld, and they. Uh, Brett and uh, Chris Wallace and then Sean Riley who was also in One yeah. Point Lost played drums and I should take full credit for Sean Riley as a drummer <laughs> <laughs> so the only reason he learned drums was because he saw me drumming in grade 9 and got jealous is that real? yeah <laughs> wow I didn't Jealousy. know that yeah did he play instruments before that? he no, must not, have not at all and he actually oh my god Sean Riley is a fucking machine because he just decides I'm gonna learn this now and he did just like when he uh, was taking his accounting course right he was never a math guy but then all of a sudden he's like you know what I'm gonna learn math and he yeah. fucking aced it he got like 
A pluses in his high school math when he redid it. That's amazing to me that he only started playing drums in grade nine, and by like the end of high school was playing as well as he was because in- he was consistent. This is the one thing that I didn't do. I wasn't consistent. Right. I don't. I don't play like a guy who's been playing for almost thirty years. Me too. That's how I am with guitar. Yeah, and it pisses me off because yeah. I feel like if I had just had that work ethic a little more when I was younger, I could be a lot better now. Well, you know what my biggest enemy was was uh, born expecting <laughs> yeah the, the advent of the internet, <laughs> expecting perfection, and then uh, you know, beating myself up when I didn't live up to what I was expecting of myself. That's what I do now. That's oh, what I do I, now. I'm getting I'm getting better at it. I'm yeah. actually I'm finding going to the gym is helping with the whole like because it's measurable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're like. This is what I lifted last time. I have something written down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to go for the next thing. Yeah. You know, and it kind of gives you a little... I, I can see how effort and progress work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, it's a, a visible mm. yeah. you know, progression. Or My latest issue is just not having the space to play them. Yeah. And I have five drum kits, and I can't play them. Do you not have an, <laughs> you don't have an electronic kit? No, and I don't really want one. No? I, not even for practice? No, because it messes you up with dynamics. It uh, You learn... To play with weird dynamics, and then when you sit down in real kit, it's like, whoa, yeah, what the hell? I told you, maybe I didn't tell you. The same company that makes those moon shells, yeah, make those. Uh, what are they called? R Tom? No, black holes. Oh, is that like so? Uh, they sit over top of the drums. I just got them. I'm gonna open them tomorrow. Oh, so you turn any kit into a practice kit, essentially? Exactly. It t- they say it takes it down the volume level down eighty percent. Is that the weird ones with all the symbols that have the ho- the Swiss cheese holes in? That's them? another thing. Those are yeah. uh, those are also for electronic kits because they, you can put the sensors or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, I have those too. Yeah, I can't, got uh, everything used for a while. I wanted that. I, the fi- yeah. the thing though is the kick drum pedal is going to travel through the wall. Your neighbors are going to get that vibration. Oh yeah. So I mean, you still need some kind of like that's what riser. The, that's what the thing uh, that uh, black hole. There's one for the kick drum. Oh, is there? Ba- boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, like under the pedal. So yeah, it goes on and hooks on kind of like bungee style. Hmm. Oh, okay. You get the same rebound, but you get maybe not the same. I way less sound. I may need to invest in that. Come, you can come over tomorrow and try them if you the, want. The key thing for me that I want to maintain I'm is the way it. sticks bounce off the snare. Exactly. I mean, I do have a mesh head for the snare, so that's not. Yeah. I, I I at least have that, and I do like the feeling of mesh heads on a real mm-hmm. drum. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. Trolls are loud. Oh, oh yeah, back to Sean Riley. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you made him. So you made him. I totally made him. <laughs> He'd be so, nothing. So I, I take full credit. And uh, actually, in grade nine, it was pretty crazy entering Southwood because, like, I had been drumming for a little bit, and but then like Joel Silver was there, who was already awesome, and now he's uh, drumming for Dragonhead. I don't, I don't know if that's still a thing, but really, yeah. Um, Dragonhead. Yeah, the band Dragonhead. I know that name, but I can't. remember. I know the name. Uh, okay, so the girl who sings in Dragon Age. Like, yes, I know that. Adam King hello. produced it, right? No, he didn't pl- produce that. That was some. What did he produce? Uh, he produced Dragonette, but he didn't produce that song. That was her as a feature on somebody else's. Oh, I know Dragonette now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, Sean Riley. So. Amazing rendition. <laughs> so... If anybody didn't know them, they know them now for sure. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Hashtag nailed it. <laughs> so Waterhead, yeah. Sean was the original drummer of Waterhead. Yes, but he got kicked out because uh, because of me, and <laughs> I showed up and I did. Uh, I think Sean was like, "You need a double kick pedal to do a punk beat. You can't do it with one pedal." Mm. I'm like, sure you can. And then I sat down and did it, and that was what <laughs> made Sean get kicked out of the band. But and that, then he, and then he's but, like, "Oh fuck!" But it also made Sean resolve to get better. 
And he did. And, and he, he was did, in yeah. all the subsequent bands that we've been talking about. It's a Hollywood story. Him and Matt have kind of been the anchor for all those bands. And I think it's there's a reason that all these <laughs> bands have that similar sound. Like Blue Breeze, for example. Like that Blue Breeze album, John yourself played on that you were, and sang some, some stuff and played bass. And then Matt played guitar, obviously, and Sean drummed. And I remember Sean telling me that, like, that album was very easy for you guys to record. And it was, there was no nothing was really fixed so there was you know like even though it was recorded into pro tools it wasn't really polished up real nice but it has that organic that album has that organic feel to it and i think anything that matt and sean do together and it's a reason that matt has this um this constant i don't want to call it a desire that might not be the right word but he has a desire to work with uh sean whenever we do any any projects because and i think it's because he knows that they have a thing those two, and when you when you mix Robin and even yourself, there's a sound that comes from you guys. It doesn't matter what style of music it is; it's going to be good. And all those albums have been great. The Dead Generation is an awesome metal metal album. Great album, yeah. That, and then that, that, Blue that Breeze, was... like, what would you call Blue Breeze? What style of music would that be? Because uh, I never really knew how to classify. I mean, it's rock, so right? I I'll say this: I never loved the recording of it. Why? It sounded great. Because I feel like the recording process was ass backwards. So, like, we recorded it, recorded the drums. Record everything. Where do you record it? At Sean's house. Okay. But then we played it live, and then it kind of grew into its <clears> own <throat> thing. So it's like the songs were like, uh, the recorded versions were like a distant cousin of what they became. Yeah. So then there's like, fuck, we play it this way. Though same arrangement, same style, but not quite the same snap to it. Mm. So I f- feel like we missed the snap of it all. But I mean, it like anything, it's like... It's like a serial killer. You kill your first person. Maybe it's a little messy. But your 10th person, you kill them great. But not always, man. Sometimes like that first album that a band puts out is their best. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and they, they never match Capture it. the magic. Yeah, and they never match it again. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's that, you know, they call that, what do they call that? The sophomore slump or whatever it is. Like somebody puts out their oh, second yeah. record. Sophomore and next. Yeah. yeah, and it's never as great as as the first one. Well, shit. I mean, imagine working on songs for like five years. Yeah. you got 10 songs you've been working on, on them for five years. Yeah. And then you put them out, and then fucking magic. Mm. And then the record company's like, all right, can you put out another album next year? You're like, well, shit, man. It took yeah. us this long to write this many songs. And what that's, are you talking that's about? That's the problem. Like, a lot of these bands get signed. I don't know if it's like that so much these days because the industry's in such turmoil for paying artists to record and whatever. I think usually, I don't know if you're seeing multi album deals like you used to. Like, back in the day, be like, yeah, we're going to sign you to a fucking three album deal or five album deal. And, yeah. and then you're under the gun to produce Woo. within a certain amount of time. Whereas, when you just do it nowadays, it's like you'd be lucky to even get a fucking deal for one album. You might have to self-produce that album and then just shop it around. And I sell assume it there's never a deal coming. Yeah, I like don't, when I pick up my instrument, I assume nothing's coming from it. And it, you can't, you can't ever assume that if you if you're trying to write the music for that, you're, you're fucked. It, yeah, you're doing it absolutely. Wrong. I I've, I would say that uh, working quickly can be the mother of some great creativity. Oh, absolutely, because because you can nitpick. Yeah. forever and it's like and make something yeah, worse yeah. yeah i think there was an experiment it had to do with pottery or something it was like they did an experiment where they said you can work all semester making one pot or whatever yeah and then the other one was you're gonna make a different pot every day and the ones that most people judged as better were the ones where they made a new one every day mm-hmm. so i mean and you know if you look at it the era eras like the 60s like beatles had multiple albums in one year like you know, working quickly is not necessarily a bad thing. No. Yeah, I mean, you, you can pick up a lot of, I don't know, just differences. I, it's 
writing. When you lose focus on writing, yeah, you're fucked. Yeah, because that's everything. Oh shit! A, it, oh, a badly yeah. written, sorry, a, a well written, badly recorded song will always be better than a, you know, uh, badly written. Wait, badly. Sorry, <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. A badly written, well recorded song is worse than a well written, badly recorded. Yes, song. I know yeah. what you. I know what you're saying. Did you just get it. I think you got it right. I need, I I need another coffee, man. And that's why. That's <laughs> no, why that. That's that. That is. Crucial. So here's here's what I, what I find too. Not to get too much off track from. I want to keep going in this sort of this timeline of these bands, um, but I feel like that's what's happening with recording these days. Is before or sorry, not recording, but writing. So writing before everybody used to get together in these bands, sit together, um, have a jam session or whatever, and hey, I have an idea. Let's try and work this out. And I know one point Lost used to do it like that too, but nowadays with everybody having the ability to record at home fairly easily. What I get is like a lot of people like, hey, check this idea out, and they send it to me, and then I have, I I, I can't work that way. Like I prefer to work with people in the room. Hey, let's let's figure these ideas out. Absolutely, because it's collaborative. Yeah, because it's still fragmented. If you know you're sending something, you're still working yeah. alone for a period of time. Exactly, and I can't stand that. I, I don't know what it is about. Like Matt, Matt will send me an idea, and I'm like, what? What does he want me to do with this? Does he want me to? <laughs> try to come up with something to play with this? Does he want me just to hear it and, and figure it out or just learn it so he can I can play that part and he can play another part? Like There are some DAWs that have a network feature, though, so you can kind of like collaborate. Right. I mean, not all of them have it. I, I forget which ones do. I, I think Reaper might. Um, just Ableton? I, I can't remember. I can safely say that anytime I've sent somebody something, yeah, like a baseline, nothing has come from it. No, because... You know what I mean? It, unless... Until you meet up in person and yeah. do something about it, or you do it your fucking self, nothing comes from it. That's, that, why, that's what's happened to me. That's why I still want to do, like, uh, you know, here at, at my place, I still would love to set up, even if it was down here, like, I could, I mean, my studio's, my quote-unquote studio is a little messy right now down here, in this unfinished basement, but if I cleaned it up a little bit and organized it a bit, I feel like we could set up down here and write some write some new songs because I think that's what's been happening with us lately is we're not getting together enough we're just we get together ahead of these shows we practice for a week or two and then we play the show and then we don't we don't play music together again for a year you know whereas if we made a concerted effort to get together you know even if it was a few times a year somewhere yeah. in a room for a couple of days and write some songs I think we could really put out some good stuff and start playing Absolutely. regularly the again. power of people together creating is mm -hmm you know it goes yeah. a long way sure it does you're looking at the person you can read their their body language oh shit they don't like that you know and what I mean without them even saying it you're like ah, forget it that's a crappy idea because you can tell that they're not into it and the other thing about that is you can get the machine type before you put it on the road that's you know? right if yeah. you do it the other way then you have the battle of uh, trying to recreate what you did yeah at least if you have you know your guys down the basement making it you can make it tight you can make it clean you could put it out and it could really you can make the parts lock together because you're exactly. working together because what often happens and this is a problem that i run into a lot you come up with one part and then you come up with another part and it's cool but it walks all over the previous part you just did now you need to change one of them which yep. one are you going to change yep um you know when you're working together you already have instant feedback that this is working or it's not working exactly yeah and like i said you know you're looking right at that person it's like it's like you just said it's instant instant feedback you can tell right away if the person likes it or not you mm -hmm. know and it's like and sometimes you got to know you have to edit yourself and realize that it, the idea you have is not good and just say okay we're going to move on what else does anybody somebody else have right but when you're just recording somebody you think 
this is fucking great. And then you put it down and record it and then you send it off and then you don't get any response. And you think, well, is it because it's shitty or because people didn't actually download it and listen to it? Or did they just, you know what I mean? You don't get that feedback yeah, right away. So you're always wondering. You get you, you get a little email on the phone and then you open it up and you just hear, yeah, and it doesn't sound great. You're, you're in the middle of on, fucking shopping for new pants. You're like, I don't yeah. give a well, fuck about this song. Right. Well, it's right. also like you only gave a little snippet of what you're, you, you, ha- you right. maybe wrote a part, but you had an idea what you thought the other parts yes. around it would be like. Yes. The other person doesn't know this because they can't right. read your mind. So they came up with something else yep. that doesn't necessarily mesh with your original idea. Yeah. And they don't know that. Yeah. But no, the, the power of the people in the room, that's how you get it done. And that's how you get it tight. And that's how you, get, that's the only way to make it. So you could go into a club in Toronto and blow the pants off people. Yeah. Hmm. That's the only way. I, so, the last album I did. Yeah. Uh, well, hang on. Before we get into that, let's let's tidy up Blue Breeze. So, yeah. so you guys recorded Blue Breeze. Yep. You played a couple of shows? Played, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We played numerous shows and uh, nothing astronomical. Uh, but some progression. We made it on the radio. Yeah, I remember you guys were being played like on the college station a lot. I used yeah. to hear you yeah, regularly yeah, yeah, yeah. on the college station. And, uh, and then... It just ended. Yeah, just again, kind of just fizzled out, kind of thing. Yeah, just lost yeah. momentum and you know, just people and bands again. It's hard to keep I mean? multiple people on so the same page for a like, long period of time. Yeah, it's a relationship, and sometimes the relationship is just not what you want to be doing. Yeah, but and everybody's still friends mostly. So it's oh yeah, well, I mean, two of you in that band were brothers, and and the other Sean might as well be our brother because we, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, John Rogers was on. Uh, after like Sean recorded he, with the, he was the, on the album, but Johnny Rogers the drummer lived. Yeah. yeah, and um, so Dead Generation, the metal band, was before Blue Breeze or yeah. after Blue Breeze? Before, before, yeah, before Blue Breeze, and that was Brett Sean felt, uh, like I said before, um, Chris Wallace, yeah. Matt, Sean, and, and Chris so out of Rabs. all these bands, another thing when you consider momentum, yeah, as the other major factor was success, which yes. with any successful business momentum is huge if you're you know you're in a roll you gotta keep it moving shit it's the only way and one point lost was the only band who had multiple albums yeah blue breeze did not uh no i think it was treated as a was was the intention that would keep going or was it did you just see it as a one-time project what's that blue breeze i saw it as a yeah like a lot of times with these things i consider them like an art project obviously if you know they get some interest, I'll pursue. Uh, but a lot of times I think of, uh, I think of it as like a, uh, just basically like, you know, just kind of prove what you can do in six songs. Just fucking throw yeah. it out there. Have fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, just an art project, whether it's like a painting, yeah, a drawing, something you're building, music, that gets me off. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And I, I I, mean, I've been doing it my whole life, whether it's art or, I mean, music is art, but just the same sort of thing, like creativity. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah. and so, um, where, sorry, I had, a, I had a question there to Dead ask. Dead Generation. 
Oh yeah, Dead Generation. Generation. So then Dead Generation play uh, again. They kind of the same thing. They they recorded this album, which I thought was great. Great uh, album. Yeah, really a, great album for a metal album. It had a lot of catchy uh, melodies in it. Absolutely, some it great very, guitar very parts, melodic. great drum parts. Yeah. And it wasn't like mind blowing, like real technical playing. Like Matt's a great player, but he just wrote it so it was fun and easy to listen to. Like for metal, yep. it was very easy listening for metal. If that's like even a term that you can associate with that kind of music. I think that was kind of Sean maturing as a producer too. Like, Sean produced that album? I believe so. Did yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. called Rubicon of Insanity or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because I feel like, did he mix that or did he get somebody else to mix it? No, I think he mixed it. I think it was, uh, yeah, I think by that time he knew what he was kind of doing behind the computer. Yeah. And he was able to make it unified, make it clean, make it... Yeah, it all fit. And it you sound, know. It sounded like, oh, this is it what it sounded sound great. Like. It Separate sounded very the produced. bass and, from the drums yeah. to the guitar. It, it was all he had, well-flowing... Yeah, the thing, the techniques down. Yeah. yeah, this is what drives me nuts about our group of friends. Though we have all this talent, all this pool to draw from of these people that can play and mix and re- I mean record and and mix things down and fix issues and and do demos that sound almost good enough to be a recorded track, but we don't do it. Well, it's because <laughs> we we're all scatterbrains, and oh, we, it just drives me crazy. And, and everything is an experiment. It's not like this is the thing. It's like, oh, I'm just let me try this thing. Okay, I did that, and I'm gonna do the next thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, which is fine. You learn yeah. that way. Like Rob and Sean and uh, Nate Bulla recorded this song, and I can't. I don't know what it was called. I don't even know if they recorded under like any kind of a band name or anything. But it was. They played me this song, and I'm like, this fucking song is good enough to be on the radio right now. Right now, Rob recorded the lyrics at like two in the morning coming home from a Shred Penner gig, drunk. And he was singing it in the car and Nate's like, you need to put those lyrics down tonight because they're sounding great. And he mm-hmm. did. And the song was, it's fantastic. It sounds like something that could be on the radio literally today. But you know, the thing that gets you on the radio is not quality, it's marketing and right. you know the, a little bit of happenstance. Right. I mean, these days, if you want to be new and make it, you're almost better to try to get placement in a TV show or a movie. Yeah. And then, you know. But the thing is, I mean, but with social media now, you can grow yourself, right? Like, yeah. like I grew a little photography account. My Instagram account originally was for like my sort of personal photography. I wasn't like a professional, but, it, you know, I grew that account from like 100 people who were basically just my friends to like over 500, which doesn't sound like a lot. But that was all just from uh, communicating with people online, um, like other other artists, getting them to follow me back and then sharing some of them shared my work and mm-hmm. it gets attention that way. And you can do that with a band too. If your band is good, all you need to do is get a couple of, of people in bigger name bands to, to re, you know, retweet you or For repost sure. your, and all of a sudden you, you're, ga- you're gaining momentum. But what I find with, with us and whenever we make this music, like Rob and Sean, for example, um, <laughs> just go, go on. You don't have to text me. You have to pee. You can just go pee. Um, <laughs> I think you should bring the mic with you. <laughs> uh, where was I? We have all these sound people. Oh, um, yeah. So we record these songs, or we have these ideas, and we get like a demo recorded, and then we just stop. We don't have the, We don't keep the momentum going. I think we kind of have the the checkbox mentality. We're like, let's see what it's like if we tried that, and then we do it, and we're like, okay, we did that. Yeah, but the problem is you can't. I mean, if you, and I guess the I guess the issue is nobody's really focused on creating these bands for long term. It's like you said, like we okay, we did it. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds great. Uh, next thing, right? But I yeah. like I really want to start something, or even get if we get one point loss going again in some kind of real capacity. Um, and get some new songs and record them. I want to keep 
pushing those songs, right? And playing yeah. shows and maybe traveling around a little bit and trying to make a little bit of a name for ourselves. I guess, well, I mean, responsibilities can get in the way too. Well, they do. And that's that's the main part of the, the problem that I have. Like Matt's always like, at the weirdest times, hey, uh, come down to Toronto and let's let's record something. I'm like, I can't tonight, man. Like I'm, yeah. I'm busy. I have other shit on the go. I can't just pack up and leave. But if we scheduled it, I could easily, oh for sure, easily set it up if we scheduled it. We don't. I mean, right? it's it's great that there's things like Patreon now. Like, yeah. if you can, you know, get enough people interested and they subscribe, they give you whatever ten, yeah. bu- ten bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of like your income to just. Oh, there it is. There's, it's kind of John's like- <laughs> pee coming down the pipe. Maybe uh, this isn't the greatest studio space. I think it's awesome. Uh, yeah, you can kind of just get. You you have a you know a constant cash flow even if it's not much it's something you know yeah um, but it's not even like I just want it I just want it to be fun like I just want to yeah. I want to play music I want to be able to play shows and have new songs and but new songs that we've recorded and people have heard ahead of time because nobody wants to hear new shit that they don't know do you think expectations of ourselves suck the fun out of it and instead of just going hey let's just make anything I think there's an extreme overthinking that happens. Especially, and I don't want to speak for Matt, but especially on Matt's end, like he'll he'll he wrote like when we talked about starting One Point Loss up on a serious way a couple of years ago before we played that first show with uh, at the Scout Hut, and he wrote in like two days he wrote three pop punk songs in demo form and sent them to me, and I lo- and I love them all. They had no, they had no singing. They had no real lead melodies or anything like that. It was kind of just like rhythm, rhythm tracks, with a couple of riffs mixed in. And I was like, Matt, these we could easily transform these into three brand new awesome songs. He's like, No, I don't like them. And I'm like, But these were great tunes. <laughs> you can't just throw them away because you think they're no good. They are good. I knew they were good, right? So we don't. I just think it's like a follow through thing. Like we just For never sure. momentum. So, yeah. So, sometimes a new song that you write or any, even just a snippet of a song, you think it's no good, but, but in, when you come back to it, you're like, Oh wait, that was actually a decent idea. Yeah. And like, if you have a part you like, the thing I've learned about songwriting is if you have a part you like mm-hmm. they're like, let's say, should you put a ring on it? Yeah, you should. <laughs> uh, the, I, I songwriting, songwriting. Yeah. Uh, Matt, about Matt. Matt is an amazing songwriter. He is. He uh, he's got it covered. Uh, and I still, I said this before, and I still say it. I still think great things are to come. And I mean, that's the power of never stopping playing. Mm. Like it's always there. It's just, it's I don't know. It's there's still more to come. You know what I mean? Yeah. Until you're you're fucking toast, until yeah. you're dead. Like, as long as I'm, I'm well, not. That's the nice thing about music, isn't it? You can kind of do it your whole life, and you, it doesn't matter how old you get. You can always, well, as long as you can thing. move your hands. It's not like you know? an athlete. You're, well, you're not going to lose right. your throwing arm. Right. Well, here, here's one thing that maybe you thought in your 20s, but now you're probably less concerned with being cool. Is this music cool? Yeah. Like at this point, I don't know if you guys care, but I certainly don't care if music I make is cool. I don't care if it's cool by the sense of like, hey, the the young crowd or whatever, like the the kids right well, I mean, now that you are just have to like music. it yourself. Yeah, but yeah. you're not like, does this fit in with what's hot right now? Exactly. I don't yeah. care about that. I just want it. I just want it to be good to my standard, and that's what I, that's where I find the most trouble and with that's writing. Why I got a lot of face tattoos right now. <laughs> I wonder why you had always tired tattooed under your eyes, like Post Malone. I'm, stuff. 
I'm just a big fan. <laughs> big fan. So let's let's talk about your newest stuff. So your latest record. You had one that you put out last year or the year before? Because uh, you sent me one. Maybe four months ago. No, that was the latest one. That's Tremendous Gentleman. Yeah. But there was one before that, was there not? Oh, yeah, that was just other stuff. Just that you just kind of put out digitally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that, that one didn't have lyrics on it, right? Yeah, it was just instrumental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that was just stuff. Just stuff. And then when did you start writing this Tremendous Gentleman record? Uh, it took me one year. Uh, yeah. When I wrote it, I wrote it in September of 29, no, 2018. Finished every song. So the, the big the big thing for me, mm-hmm. which was uh, I had to buy recording gear. Within that time, yeah. I figured out how the hell to record because I know I'm pretty bad with computers and uh, just the whole re- recording process. Yeah. So it was like, it took me a year to write the songs, figure out how to record really and put it all together and sing on it. Yeah. Which singing, I mean, so writing lyrics, writing, writing lyrics, mm-hmm. hardest part. Oh, well, that's sure. what I was going to ask you. So, like, first of all, what was like? How did what inspired you to to make this album? Like, why did you all of a sudden decide, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some gear? Like he just said, he just said he bought a bunch of recording gear. So, what what was the inspiration behind this? Because I'll tell you what, I don't have the motivation enough to go out and buy all kinds of professional recording gear to record stuff at home. Well, it wasn't that that professional. It was. Uh, it sounded really good. Uh, it's, I mean, in, again, what we were talking about earlier, I think 20 years ago, it would have been hard to do it, but, you know, nowadays, you can do basically with a couple of devices. Yeah, right? you, you, yeah rent, pick rent up. a lot of stuff from Long McQuaid. Oh, right. Actually, the used market is really good, too, right now, like, because yeah. these, you know, you can get, whatever, you get an interface, you get a, con- a set of converters from 2004, they're yeah. still, they still sound good, like, who cares, as long as they work. So. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of rented microphones and... Mm. Trial and error. A lot of trial and error. Yeah. R&D. That's uh, best way to learn. And the whole reason for doing it was I just felt like I haven't put out music that I could... Uh, that that was an expression of myself yeah. in a while. Mm-hmm. Especially with lyrics. Uh, you know, a lot of... Being a bass player, like, I take a lot of pride in, like, a bit of swing, a bit of funk in my step. Like, that, I mean... The way I play bass is the way, like, a good bass line to me. When I write a good bass line, it's a good day. Yeah. Like, it improves my mood. I feel happy. Like, if I write something that I can bounce to, it's it's great. There's a lot of great rhythms on that album. It's a sure. lot of fun. There's a bit of swing, a bit of, yeah. just a bounce, a bounce. It's funky, for sure. Which is how I love and music. I like that all the different, all the songs are different. Like nothing, like it's cohesive in the sense that they sound the same, yeah. the sounds are the same, but every song is different on that album. It's not like, you don't have like a, it's not a boring album to listen to because the album takes you on a bit of a, of a trip, right? Yeah, and none of the lyrics follow the same path. Each song yeah. is different. Mm-hmm. It's not five or six heartbreak songs, right, you right. know. It's uh, each has its own topic, and then you've got an instrumental one. That's I think the last yeah. track's just instrumental, yeah. and I was, I, w- I was really disappointed that that song wasn't longer because it's just a kind of almost like a short like outro song, right? Like it's only like a minute long or so something. That song I just wanted to put into for anyone who's listening that might want something more to come up. It was like, it was just like kind of like 
a hello to them to say mm-hmm. this is the the what's coming up next. Yeah, this is the next kind of sound that I'm going to be working with. It was really cool. It had like I, I you know it had it had a great rhythm to it, and it's it was a bit heavier than the rest of the stuff. Yeah. On thing. But and then I was like, oh, this song's kicking in real good, and then all of a sudden it was over, and I was yeah. like, oh crap, that's it. <laughs> it's just that little snippet. It's you, there will be more. I've. Uh, How long did it take you to record that? Like from start to finish that whole album. So, uh, listening to the song, I, I get obsessive with it. Mm-hmm. I get extremely obsessive. Each song I've, I can safely say I listened to over a hundred times before uh, the final product. Mm-hmm. When it comes to arrangements, I, I, I get obsessive over it. Like. In the middle of the night, I'm thinking about it when I'm at work, when I'm mm-hmm. driving. Like, it's just I think you have consumed, to be like that, Consumed, yeah. like psycho, like a psycho. It's your baby. It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an art project. And yeah. it, that's the way it's been. It's an expression of you. So you're kind of like, you know, this is how you're kind of presenting yourself to the world. So you want to make sure it's yeah, right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, you don't want to overthink it, but you don't want to come out with something weak. Yeah. And I hope I didn't, and it's, again... It's. Uh, I have never played a live show with that music, mm-hmm. so I don't feel like it's been fully grown. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm ever going to play a uh, live show with that music, but I'm already writing more music. That's the tough thing without when you do this stuff on your own and don't have a band to back it up, right? That Because how do you... Like, I'm sure you would have loved to have gone out and played some shows to promote that yeah. record, but you didn't have anyone sort of lined up. You did it all, by, you did it all yourself, literally, every yeah. instrument. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's you kind of get left... Did you re- you didn't record live drums for that? No, they're all yeah. programmed. Yeah. It was all uh and they sound awesome too. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a benefit to recording and not worrying about how you do it live. Just do the yeah. song. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and then you can get other people to play. Yeah. But everyone else I know is like, "John, like we can I don't know. There there's a lot of talent within our group that nobody needs to come out and play other people's music. Like it's uh it's I don't know. But we should though. I mean, it, T- to be honest, if someone's got something that they're really excited about, there's you've got a you know enough musicians that we could easily put a group together and go play yeah, those yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not hard, and I'm sure if you asked, you know, like me or your brother or Sean or whoever, like to do a show, we could easily like do yeah. that. So I think the healthiest thing though would be to get everyone out and with all of our personal skills to bring that knowledge and the ability. And then to rewrite or write uh, full songs, new mm. songs. Yeah. And then at least everyone can have a little bit of skin in the game, whatever yeah. you want to fucking mm-hmm. say. A little, you know, it just it means more because I've been in bands where I had to play other people's music. Yeah. And it, I never felt fully fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But especially but, as but to have that collaboration, you kind of have to be willing to take a back seat once in a while and let the other person's idea fly, right? Hey, well, I mean, as a bass player, that's yeah. I'm I. My safe place is kind of in the background. Well, that's why you need everybody to agree on how this is going to yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Even, and, and they have to agree also, hey, when it's your show, when it's time to do your song, you know, you're you're the leader of that song. Yeah. That way everybody feels like they have a voice. I think that's what makes these things fall apart sometimes is maybe not everybody feels like they have a voice. It's yeah. a relationship. It's a, 100% these bands are relationships, and no wonder these bands fall apart. Yeah. Relationships are fucking crazy. Yeah. It's so much... But I think we've been lucky over the years that nobody's gotten angry. For the most part, nobody's been angry at anybody else. It's not like, oh, this band ended and therefore I hate you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or, hey, you fucked up the band so we're not friends anymore. Or but whatever. imagine it if a band like lost that. like thousands, million, 
you know, oh, dollars. Yeah. Like, when yeah. it's a substantial amount or, like... But really, you should be happy that it happened at all, in that case. Yeah, but I think when people are in the moment, it's... Yeah, it's definitely it worse when the stakes are higher. If they tried to keep it going, but they all felt that way about it, it probably wouldn't have much momentum anymore. Oh, God, how could you even play songs or mm-hmm. write songs yeah. when you knew people only had fucking... Yeah, exactly. So it's probably good to end it while you're ahead, in that case. <sighs> well, I mean, that's the beauty of art, man. Like, it's... It's such a... If it's not truthful, people can tell. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't fake it. And bands that do fake it, I mean, fuck. You can tell. You can smell it on them. Ah, uh, yeah. And you can smell the bands that don't get along with each other. You know, like, you go see them live, and they're not they're not hanging out with each other. They don't look happy. It'd be a shame, they're just there. They're just there to, to play the show and get the money and go <sighs> home. You know, and, like, you hear about that even with, with big, huge bands. Like, they don't even interact they rehearse a little bit before these huge arena gigs and then they play the gig and then they go their separate ways and you hear them on other podcasts and on radio and they're, they're talking about, yeah, you know, we really didn't see each other for four or five years and then we got oh. together in, in the studio for a couple of weeks and recorded this album and now we're touring and it's like, well, that's kind of weird. Like even Metallica, like I just heard I that can see why you, sick, you can kind of get sick of each other though, being close quarters sure for too long. If you're a big touring band and you're t- like, like I'm about to go see one of my favorite bands, Blackberry mm. Smoke. Again in Kitchener this time they're coming around which is unbelievable. Um, is that about the smartphone? Smartphone? No, I, I highly doubt it. <laughs> I highly doubt a southern rock band wrote named themselves after a black man blew up in my pocket. No one to call. But those guys tour like they're on they're on <laughs> they're on the road. I think I've heard them say as many as three hundred days a year. Right. So and they thought been, there was only two hundred fifty days in the year. Three hundred. 365 too many we gotta bring that back (laughs) so the majority of the year they're on the road they're together all the time they tour a lot on a bus like they're pretty extensively um most of their tours are are via bus and like you gotta think how do you how do you tour for that many years with the same guys and not get sick of each other in close quarters yeah sharing a bathroom yep gotta be good friends or at least the, the best of friends. Have a way to compartmentalize whatever it is you need to do to get through. Whoa. I suppose. Yeah, I think you'd have to be psychologically Because you guys had, strong. I know one point Lost mm. back in the day had a band, Dude. like before I was in the band. I used to sleep in that band. Yeah, and what, what like, how, oh, did you guys, all the time. <laughs> did you guys tour, you guys didn't do a tour per se. Not a, no, you not You just a used it kind of to get to gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How about that school bus you guys had? Oh, that was uh, Broken Star. They yeah, had, oh, okay. They had the little bus, right? yeah. The, the kindergarten style mm-hmm. school bus. Yeah. Uh, it was the Christian Cruiser. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, One, it was like uh, an old church bus? Yeah, it was like a half bus. Wow. And uh, I don't remember seeing the bus. I remember hearing about the bus, but yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah. I was in it once. Yeah, it was uh, a nice little bus. It's not a bad bus. They're um, all still going to hell, though. What uh, what gear did you use to record this Tremendous Gentleman's gear, album? Gear, because gear, gear, gear. I know that you got a new guitar for that. You bought a Strat uh, or something, right? So there was a rented Gibson. Oh, right. Les Paul, there's a rented uh, Stratocaster, and then I bought a Stratocaster. Both Mexicans. Beautiful. Yeah. I called them my Lolitas. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh. That was hot. Pop, yeah. pop, 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 pop. Easy on the pop. So, uh, yeah, that was rented. Uh, bass guitars. Uh, the only, I, I bought it, it was a. $250 bass guitar uh, Ibanez that I used to record it. I have other basses that are much more expensive, but yeah. this one 
Shit, it's one of those things where it's like, the price doesn't matter, man. Once you pick it up and start ripping around on it, if mm-hmm. it captures that sound, just you gotta fucking reel it in, capture that sound. Low, yeah, co- absolutely. low cost doesn't necessarily mean worse, it just means less consistent. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Between different absolutely. guitars. That's all it yeah, means. Yeah. And a, my lack of knowledge with music, uh, the the way I put, the, the way I created these songs <clears throat> and everything I used to do it was very do yourself and yeah figure out as you go kind of thing it was like it was like just i had to it was like carving a stone and i just had to beat the shit out of it until i found something within it that i enjoyed and once i found it i stopped right and then i moved on to the next stone so i found that thing and then that that's all it was and that in that's the only way to explain it and how did your brother matt how did he factor into all this i know he uh he did he mix it for you so he was mixing it and doing all that kind of stuff okay and it was uh but he didn't write any of the music for it you wrote no. it all yeah and no. recorded it all you played yeah, all the yeah. instruments yeah yeah and uh so it was on his side it's a work in progress on my side it's a work in progress uh next one's gonna be twice as good now did you guys i know you were just four times as good <laughs> Six times is good. Eight times is good. We don't know. We don't know. I know you were focusing on this in the last little bit, but yeah. I also did hear some rumors. It could have been from Sean that you guys were talking about doing some more Blueberry stuff too, or maybe playing the old stuff again. Or... I haven't heard that, but I would. Uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun playing it live. That was the first time I actually sang. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun singing. I had this uh, this romantic idea in my head of getting all these old bands together to just to play like one more show, just so everybody can see them. Everyone that didn't have a chance to see them, like like even like like Broken Star, Dead Generation, and I feel like I could. <laughs> there's some parties that won't, wouldn't participate. Though. That's what I'm saying. And, hey. and that's the problem. And I, I I feel like if there's people that That'd don't want don't want to do it, then we should just do it with other people and just play those songs live again. It's like the Temptations, but only one original member. <laughs> Well, I think like the pro- temptation, the hardest one would probably be Broken Star because you have <laughs> there's tension there, right? With yeah. Broken Star. So you, there was because the, they broke up in a weird way. But I think the other ones could be easy. Like I think Blueberries could be easy to do. Oh, you know we're I mean? easy. We're all easy. That'd be an easy one to put back together and, and play a show. Or, yeah. Hey. Even uh, Dead Generation could could be. I would love to see Dead Generation. I would love to see Dead Generation because I never saw them play live. That only, I only heard the album. Again, I've said it many times. Great album. I'm trying to think. Did I ever see you guys live? Who? That generation. Uh, I don't think I did. I don't think they played a ton of shows, to be honest with you. Go get some. You know where it is. Oh, shit. How much time we got? Lots. Oh, yes. You can, you can announce it. It's not, yeah. There's no shame no. in wanting another beer. You know where they are. <laughs> I'll be loving these um, But yeah, uh, speaking of recording, Ryan, so what do you... I know you've been... Yeah. Over the years, you and I have talked about you setting something up for recording. How, how yeah. much closer are you getting so to that? So this is like, uh, it started as second iteration of me and Sean's plan. Yeah. Um, back in the day, our pipe dream of, you know, first off, we had no income or re- our income sucked back then. Of course. So like pulling anything off would have been a joke. But, you know, I'm part of the working world. Yeah. I, I make decent money. So... You know, I've, I've been able to acquire some stuff, and I, I'm a big analog junkie. Mm-hmm. I all my favorite recordings are from the '60s and '70s. I love the way 
transformers and tape saturation and all that shit sounds. Yep. So I mean, I've I've started acquiring some stuff. So the 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 original intention. I mean, it's changed ideas a few times. First, it was buy a house, uh, build an extension, whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like houses are expensive. Oh yeah. They don't tend to come equipped well for recording. The ceilings are too low. Uh, you got flutter echoes with a lot of parallel walls and stuff, or the dimensions are just off because they didn't think of that. So, so sorry, just to backtrack there a yeah. little bit. Low ceilings are not good for recording. No, I always thought low ceilings were good for recording because it. Well, then you have to. There's d- less echo. Dampen, I thought you have to dampen. Well, no, it just means that you're going to get more of the you know that almost metallic sound. Have you ever yeah, been, been yeah. between two pieces of drywall? Yeah, yeah. Clap your hands and it sounds almost like uh, a spring yeah. or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, you you don't want to have. Your reflections be too quick. There's a there's like a they call it a golden ratio for mm-hmm. a room of hmm. yeah you know, it like let's say your room is 26 feet in one direction then you want the other direction to be like 12 feet and you want it at least a you know 14 to 16 foot ceiling or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact measurements, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, typically houses you can certainly get by with a low ceiling, but you have to make other considerations like. You probably don't want a wood floor then. You probably want carpet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So the house idea was out. The second idea was, and this may still be plausible because I know that there's not super expensive industrial space in town. But um, the other idea was a shared space with one live room and multiple control rooms, and people will rent them out. And meanwhile, I'd have my control room, which would yeah. have my analog gear. Again, you know, I'm I'm still experimenting with ideas. Going alone kind of sucks because I know Sean's not ready to be on board yet. Um, and I got, I'll, I'll tell you what year I've got. I got an old uh, uh, JH16 reel to reel. It's 800 pounds. Uh, like literally 800 pounds. Yeah. It, oh my god. No, I have it set up for one inch tape with eight tracks, but it can be set up for two inch with 16. I have the electronics for 16. I don't the head stack. Um, and then I've also got a uh, two-track Ampex uh, AG440C, which is, you can switch between quarter-inch or, or half-inch, and you can mix down to that. Hmm. And I've got a MCI JH416A console that used to be owned. Do you know the band uh, The War on Drugs? Yeah, yeah, I know that name. Yeah, so their, their album that they... They won the Grammy with in 2017. Mm-hmm. That was tracked on my console that I own now. Wow. Sitting in storage in town here. Um, hmm. And it used to be owned by um, Nashville producer Jim Dickinson, who I'm not familiar with, but I think he played piano on one Rolling Stone song. Hmm. He's big in the blues scene there <laughs> back in the 70s. Anyway, I got some cool gear. Yeah, you do have some cool gear. And um, uh, that's the kind of gear like I feel like right now, with the, the way everybody is going... I don't want to say away from digital. Like digital is probably, I mean, it's bigger than ever. But people are looking for these alternatives to record. Yeah, they 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 know that, that analog sound, right? There's a different workflow to it. Like you can't you fix can't fix things. anything. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. You can to a degree, but you got to think carefully about how you're going to do it. Like you're not going to cut a multi-track tape, and you certainly can't cut one track right. and none of the others. Right. You know, right. like, um, yeah, and yeah, there's a certain uh, immediacy to the recording, the way you work with it. Like, is it almost better with with analog stuff to do more like uh, live off the floor stuff? Yeah, try to get it as good as possible. And you know, you know it's it's actually uh, better for the engineer and producer's sanity because a lot of times people are like, oh, we'll just like whatever, we'll figure it out as we record, and they di- they didn't come into the studio and practice. Now, I'm not speaking from experience here because right. I, I haven't done this yet. But, yeah. Um, 
yeah, they, they come in thinking that, oh, we'll just figure it as we go. Mm. And it takes them like three hours to record a guitar part. With analog tape, the way you would have done it is practice your ass off before you even go to the studio. Yeah, so that you're ready to rock and just fucking do it. Yeah, because you already know what you're going to do going in. That's yeah. where it's like the guys in the room practice before it come out. You got your... Mm. Exactly. So you know, there's that, a... I mean... The, the bar for the musicians is raised because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you end up with a more organic, more human... Mm. recording in the end and i fucking love tape saturation the way a snare just cracks nicely i feel like something you could reproduce live and have a real good soul to it yeah yeah absolutely there are ways of uh faking tape tape saturation live i mean there's a box you can get that has like a magnetic head that feeds the signal to another magnetic head and it skips the tape entirely. I love hmm. magnetic heads. But it's really good. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just fucking eager to do this, man. And, eager. I, and, I, and I've recently... Uh, like This is why I moved back to town, because space is cheaper. and I just Way I, cheaper than yeah, where you were. Yeah, Toronto's outlandish. Stupid. And, and now I'm just like, wake up. You know, you moved here. Yeah. Do it. Like, start doing something. Figure out a way to... If you can just do half of it or a quarter of it... Yeah. It's better than doing nothing. So, so what, what's your options right now? Find a space where you can set all this stuff up and well, record people? Or are you still thinking about maybe doing your in your own home? Well, I'm going to start my own home, and yeah, that won't yeah. be analog. But um, I, I got some kick-ass converters. I just need to buy a computer. That's really it right now. And maybe a few cards to interface with the converters that yeah. I have. But I've already bought the software, and it's just... I have a license, but I haven't used it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's that's priority number one. At the very least, I can flesh out ideas, and if it, I'm like, oh, that would sound cool on analog tape. I can just save that song for later. Yeah. Um, what's the the um, what's the software you're using right now? What DAW are you using right now? Um, I'm gonna be switching actually. So last time I recorded, um, I've been through a few stages. So back in like 2003, when I had my first DAW, I was using Cubase SX mm-hmm. with version one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was kind of like my introduction to virtual instruments and stuff too. And that was like awesome. Even though my computer wasn't very fast, I managed to squeeze a good amount out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, then around 2010 at Walnut, actually, um, that was when I got another computer, which was reasonably fast at the time. And uh, I started using Reaper. I don't know if you heard uh, me and Matt's greatest rapper in the world. But that, that, that was <laughs> no. done in Reaper. Well, I, that was a really fun song. Really, you, honestly, one of one of the, my favorite things that it, uh, has been written by the group. You know, you know how we did the lyrics. We were hungover <sighs> in the in the morning, and we just sat on the couch, and we didn't really write verses. We just tried to think of the stupidest rhyming couplets we could. <laughs> and then later on, and then later, which is why you'll find that no idea lasts longer than two lines. I love, I love it. But we just came up with the stupidest shit. And then we uh, arranged it. We're like, how, what, how can these flow best into each other? And then we just arranged the couplets that we came up with. And then we had some verses. And I had had the idea maybe a couple days earlier to use the pomp and circumstance as the backing you, you got okay I, I gotta show it to you after this but yeah i need to hear it the funniest thing for me is like all the or not i shouldn't say all of but a lot of the best songs that you know like john you just said like our group of friends have recorded yeah. a lot of the best ones have come from like or the lyrics at least have come from like really quick like let's just slap this together and the lyrics come out great like i i think i don't know how much effort brett put into 
when he wrote the lyrics for Sugar Dick Daddy for well, the Curious Ryan song so, Sugar Dick Daddy. So the but verses the, the, were all Brett, but the chorus was borrowed from yeah, Black Sheep. Right. Yeah. Of course. But I mean the actual verses themselves, I thought that was all from the from the original rap song as well. And there were some local references like I think there's a line where he says, I've got more backseat than Lockport's Gambino. Which is definitely not last year. That's, yeah, and, that, and that's what I thought. Because then I, I eventually, one day, I listened to the original. Like, I popped on YouTube and listened to the original. And I'm like, those, I'm like, those words are Great not line. in the song. I'm like, Great that. And then I talked to Matt about it. Matt's like, no, Brett wrote all those verses. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no wonder they're hilarious and yeah, fun to listen to the song really as a whole doesn't make sense but it's fun you know? oh it doesn't have to make sense it's, yeah. <laughs> it's an awesome song and i wish we had played it live the last couple songs the last couple times we played even get bread out to even get bread out to rap great bass line too it is a great bass line did you write that who did it no uh matt matt recorded that matt recorded that yeah Actually, wait, I think I was involved with recording that, too. Probably. It just wasn't me. That's all I know. What did I do in it, though? Maybe I didn't. Oh, you know, you know, I played bass on the original Waterhead demo that we did on the four track. The Fostex? Yeah. I, w- I recorded this at the same time you guys did that. We did our, our <clears throat> demo, which was terrible for the band that I was in high school. I don't even want to say what it was, but we recorded... I, it's funny, because a memory from that night often pops in my head, because we did all the lyrics S-Club one seven. night. S Club 7. S Club Party? I thought it was in the band. What the hell is S Club 7? You don't remember? They were on the TV. <laughs> no. Yep. Tina. The crush on Tina. S Club. There ain't no party like an S Club Party. <laughs> I hey. don't know what this is. Oh. But I'm right. to get down to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but the memory I have of us recording that, we did all the lyrics one night at Brett's house in his basement. And his parents were upstairs and... There's no music. You can't. Obviously, we're we're on headphones, and we can all we hear is the music coming out of the four track indoor headphones. Mm-hmm. And I'm just recording a song with an an extraordinary amount of profanity in it. <laughs> and Matt making these faces at me, and I finally stopped and I said, what, "What's wrong?" He's like, "Brett's parents are right upstairs, man." And I was like, "Well, oh. this is the song. Like, we're this is this is where they, we chose to they record." Already heard Waterhead. That, we, yeah, exactly. We one song was "Fuck You," and I really fucking hate you. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> and, that, and that's where I ro- I uh, was part of. Me I'll, and Kevin. I'll never forget Brad's pantry down there with the Joe Louis and, the, oh, and he had a nonstop supply of Tostitos and Joe Louis down there. Sounds amazing. Yeah. That's oh fuck. Yeah, that that that's the only <laughs> way to record. That house was, I think, where Fueled we all Joe Louis. began our recording processes. Brett's basement in uh, that, or Brett's house. Yeah. We, so upstairs. After playing Toe Jam and Earl, Kevin and I wrote the song Fat People. <laughs> oh my fat god. Fat people, once I was skinny, but now I am fat because a fat person sat on me and turned me into splat. Fat people! <laughs> it was a rap song. It's a hell of a song. It Very offensive. 2020, <laughs> I'd be me too to write out the oh, door. Would you say it promoted body positivity? I would say it's the reason why it started. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 2020, you can't say anything. No, you can't. Weird out. That's why I'm 120 pounds it. now. Because that song. 120 wrote. pounds. I meant 320 yeah. pounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Hey, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you guys. What are you listening to these days? Ooh. What kind of bands are you? Because I, I, I'll be completely honest. I'm kind of stuck in a, this holding pattern of like mid 2000s. Whatever I was listening to then, I kind of haven't changed. I stopped listening to the radio because the radio was garbage. Mm. And I kind of have not discovered any new bands in the last few years. Um, 
other but not like the normal stuff not like any punk bands i mean maybe a couple here and there from like instagram and whatever that i might pop into but really i'm still listening to the same stuff what are have you guys still been finding new music that is tickling you that you everyone's by new you mean made recently or yeah made recently no made recently well new to you or made recently but i you know usually if you haven't heard it by now it's because it's new I mean, there's lots of, there's cycles, right? Like, there's cycles where I revisit old stuff that I haven't listened to in a while, but then there's also, like, cycles in music where I remember for a while, it was like, I, I mean, maybe you guys aren't as, as big into hip-hop or any of that stuff, but there's there was a while where, like, nobody was sampling anything. There was a time when there were, if you heard a hand clap in a song, that was weird. And it's like, that used to be normal, you know? Like used to be all, every song. Yeah. So... Uh, and then things come back around. You're like, oh, okay, so it sounds like that again. Now we get the gritty drums back. That's not the cheesy mm. keyboard drums anymore. You know, like, boop, 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 boop. I don't know if you guys, uh, so, okay, okay, something new that I'm into. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Griselda. Griselda. It's a hip-hop, great name. No. Hip-hop group from Buffalo, New York. And Griselda. They're fucking awesome. I'll, I'll look into them. And uh, there's a band called Hiatus Coyote from Australia. Heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool. What are they like? Like more they're like kind rock? Of, no, they're more like almost jazzy, but not jazz. But like it's very jazz chordy. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you what do you call that? I don't know. They're they're kind of off the wall a little bit. That's the thing. Like none of these new, a lot of these new bands don't really fit in any specific like genre. Yeah, you know I mean? it's very I think, strange. That's all. I think that's a hallmark of this time right now. Like, yeah. have you heard of this band, uh, Wolfpack? Yes. Yeah. No, though now I Corey care. Wong. Very funky, like a little bit heavy, but uh, super yeah. funky. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? What's it? Joe Dart on the bass? Joe Dart. Uh, the bass player in the... Yeah. So, uh, they're a lot of fun. They're... They're... Yeah. He's got a new Ernie Ball uh, bass guitar for him. Like a signature model? Signature model. Just they're they're definitely on. not my favorite. Like, I'm not going to say like that's the kind of music I would slap on and like, you know, jam to as I'm going down the highway, but... They're they definitely they're definitely cool and they're extremely talented. That's I believe for damn sure. Live, if you went to their show and you just let loose, <coughs> you know what? Some newer you stuff. would have some fun. I think so. Absolutely. So actually, some newer stuff that I'm into is not from this country. It like uh, some Japanese stuff I really like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What about you, John? What do you listen to these? Um, before we turn these mics on, Ryan and I were talking about Krangbin. Yes, uh, a lot of fun. Super cool. Uh, no vocals, just cool bass, cool drums, cool guitars. Yeah, super purely just grooves. Boom. Actually, boom, okay, boom. we were talking earlier about uh, working together in the same room versus passing ideas off to each other, like record a little part. So yeah. you, you know how they write. Um, uh, the drummer comes up with just a break beat or whatever, passes it to Laura on the bass. She comes up with something, and I mean, not in the same room, and then passes it to the guitar guy. I think his name is Mark. Um, and then he, cool. he finishes the song, yeah, essentially. And, and, then they, cool. and, then, and then they record it for real once they've kind of worked out the ideas. Beat it out. Yeah. Beat it off. Pretty much. So I, I, I don't need to me over this. I'm going to get fired <laughs> from my job. Um, other than that, uh, so two things I wanted to talk about. Uh, this summer, my younger self would be very proud of me. This summer, I'm seeing Ramstein. Ooh. Oh, wow. Bam, bam, Which... I still listen to, still love, still love, oh, love, I love everything they do, hmm. and uh, I didn't know Rage that. Against the Machine, 
Mm. Okay, so, awesome. you so were those these... tickets combined are so wait, is Zach million back? dollars. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was going to ask. Okay. Actually, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's one of the things in my little notes here that, for me to ask you guys is, how, like, a rec- I just saw today that My Chemical Romance, who I just I follow on Instagram, I saw they were they had a, a tour. They were coming to Canada, coming to Toronto. I look up the ticket prices, sold out. Boom, sold dollars. out. No, they were sold out immediately. Sold like, out. Literally the same day that they put the tickets million for sale. Dollars. And now. Ticketmaster does have all of a sudden they miraculously have tickets on Ticketmaster. Yeah. They're five hundred and fifty dollars to go see My Chemical Romance. You gotta think, Mister Ticketmaster is laying in a pile of yes, just doing oh, cocaine yeah. all day. And that's what I was gonna ask you guys. Like, do you do you guys find the same thing? I'm finding like these bands that we wanted to see are all charging insane amounts of money to the point where like it's not even affordable to go. Like, I I'm not gonna spend five hundred dollars to see My Chemical Romance. Uh, to be honest, Sorry. I don't really go to see bands that are cool so it's a lot easier this is my first time going <laughs> to see bands that are cool i've said one of my i don't even want to say regrets because i don't i really don't regret things except that one time except that one, <laughs> that one time i had sex with a cat <laughs> there she is I, the cat just came to my view <laughs> this, uh, cat, this cat's just seeing eating seeing more food. live shows would probably be the only thing uh, just just for the fact of seeing live art, yeah, really, really is. Uh, that's one of those things where uh, there's real power in seeing seeing live art. That's my favorite thing, man. It, Honestly, live music. I I lo- and like it doesn't have to be as long as the sound is yeah. good. I, yeah, I, there's nothing worse than seeing a great band that's got shitty sound. Yeah. Well, but you can see like mediocre bands that have good sound yeah. and it's enjoyable. And even even like you think about like theater. <clears throat> Like a good theater production, like they're phenomenal. That it, it'll move you. It's yeah. spiritual. A good film, a good you know, you go to the AGO, see some art. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. seeing live art is, uh, I think, crucial, at least for my happiness. And so, seeing Ramstein, seeing Rage Against the Machine, super expensive. Yeah, insane. Super crazy. Those are also bands that will translate well to live. Like some bands, I think. I think part of the problem with some live shows that turns me off is the original song was recorded in a certain way. I'm I'm a big recording junkie, so it's like, or or maybe had an orchestra or whatever. Well, when you go see them live, they have a fucking Triton keyboard doing doing the strings. Like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, Yeah. you know, Rage is 100% going to be like right because the way the music is because the the way way they recorded exactly exactly it's just it's punk. Uh, Ramstein's going to be a trip with fire blowing out of their heads, which. <laughs> I had no and it's idea in Montreal. That, I can't wait. I had no idea that you were a fan of that. That's band. very talented. I I don't like metal. I do like Pantera, Ramstein. I I'm the same way. Like I'm not a big metal guy, but there are metal bands that every I like. genre in every genre. Country, if we're talking just singer songwriter, uh, just plain old jazz. Yeah, I like as long as the song speaks to me. I'm in it. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. in it. Every genre has something good. Absolutely, and yeah. to cut off any genre is crazy to say I listen to everything except for country but then you put on like there's definitely some country albums there's there's some stuff that's like like borderline it's like kind of country-ish you know it's weird okay I don't know if you see those react videos on YouTube but kids heard Avril Lavigne complicated they're like oh it's kind of country now nobody Mm. at the time when it came out would have thought that was country but I guess if you come up and think Taylor Swift is country then I suppose 
maybe. I don't it could, know. It could be by today's standards, I guess. But it's definitely not. It doesn't have that twang that like no, it doesn't. country does. But well, maybe it's just a step away from that twang. Like if you, yeah. you know, kind of. It sounds like it could be a good country song. Yeah, you you could easily like. Well, uh, it's because the goalposts shift, and the goalposts have yeah. shifted since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, of what a lot of country is just pop music with them singing with that southern twang to their voice. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what a lot of new country is, and that's why I can't stand it. Like like my favorite, there's a there's a country album that I actually went out and bought and that was years ago now but Brooks and Dunn put an album out called Hillbilly Deluxe mm-hmm. and it was a great album and it had a lot of a lot of good songs and a lot of songs I didn't like but a lot that I did as well Yeah, and for the simple fact that it was really good songwriting great power to those songs it was it great was, musicians yeah, yeah excellent musicians good um, appeal for the pop market but still true to their roots they can play country stadiums yeah. all year long and no the, problem. And they, those guys have amazing voices, both of them. Yeah. And they're both amazing songwriters. And when they collaborate together, like they did on those albums, like, there's no denying they're. If you're into music, seriously into music, you can't deny a good band. And they are a good band. A live show, man. A good live piece of art is. Well, there's no better undeniable. musicians live than country, mu- country Ooh, musicians. Deadly. They're Some deadly guys. Yeah. They're play. so clean. They play perfect every time. You know, it's some of, some of the best. There's no hiding it. It's not like everything's hidden behind a wall of <coughs> crushing like gain, where you know, like with like a heavy band where that can cover up a lot of the mistakes. For me, gain. what I would like to see, I would like to go to the south to see some like gospel, full out gospel bands, yeah. drum kit like going around in a circle. Bass players gotta. Well, it's not like Memphis would give you both of those things. <sighs> yeah, yeah. The, gospel bass is one of my. Uh, some or I listen to it just some other a lot of things. Hmm. Some that's just huge, huge, yeah, melodic, fat, chunky, yeah. So spiritual as a bass player, yeah. It's uh, you use round line strings, right? Yeah, yeah. I've used flat, yeah. But anyways, because I'm just saying a lot of what you're describing, flats are great for that. So for me, round, I like round because I often do tapping. Yeah. Not not a lot of tapping, but just a little boom. For sure, yeah. Just throwing a little... What, uh, speaking of gear, I know you guys are talking a little bit about strings there, but like, what what do you have for gear right now, John? Like, what do you actually own? I know you got oh, a drum kit. Oh, oh. Like, so you rented some stuff for the album. Ludwig, I got own? a Ludwig drum kit. <clears throat> I got an Ampeg 212, which I like because it's in between... A 10 and a 15 you get two 12s it's fat it's round super clean I like a super clean bass though i do have a distortion pedal with it just if i want to put a little bit of grind on it which for rock and roll a little bit of grind mm. goes a long way mm-hmm. uh, it just kind of fills up the mix uh i have a five string jazz four string jazz fenders three string yeah, jazz three string jazz two string jazz <laughs> <laughs> one string jazz, it's, it's just like a pencil. Yeah. It's pretty scary. Yeah, it's just a one string. <laughs> on the, it's like a long piece of timber with just one string on it. And the whole time I'm like... Bidding, 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 yeah. bidding, bidding, <laughs> uh, uh, Fender Stratocaster. Yeah, the Mexican one, the one that your brother was playing the last time I saw him play at the cover game. It. He's supposed to be... It's, it's, a, great, it's a great album. But, great, uh, uh, great right, guitar Number one thing, uh, don't be afraid to rent a cello. But if you do, if you break a string, it's $40 to replace. What oh, my it's... God. So I, I rented one. You broke one. a string on a cello? Yeah. I got it home, and I was like, doom, 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 tune it, and it went, pop! Jeez. Yeah, pop, like, pop. 
Better than popping the neck. And then I brought it in, and they're like, uh, that'll be $40. It was like, what the fuck is that? Goddamn $40. Unicorn hair? What, what is this thing? Anyways, the whole point is don't rent a cello with a fucking string that's ready to pop. I should have looked at it. The hairs are like <laughs> So it wasn't, that you, it wasn't that you tuned it too high. It was that the string was just ready? Maybe I tuned it too high. I don't know how to play a cello. I, did you know what notes you're supposed to tune it to? <laughs> Were you trying to tune a violin? I'm no yo-yo ma. <laughs> I'm a bro, bro. We definitely are no yo ma. Nobody in this room is a yo-yo ma. <laughs> um, and then, you, have you gone? Have you transitioned to the little tiny bass heads that everyone's using now? These little miniature things. Bass heads? Oh, absolutely. The little thing that looks like the size so, of like a class D? set top class D cable box. Absolutely. I uh, I have a SVT big old heavy ass uh, amp with tubes, mm-hmm. and I find that they're so bassy and round on the bottom. This is just my personal. That goes with my style of playing. And, yeah. Uh, sometimes I use a pick. Sometimes I use my fingers. Uh, when I play, I like the. Uh, I like a class D, solid state amp. Mm-hmm. Just I find the tubes too warm that I lose my position, and especially when I play a five string, like I find the tubes don't complement a low B. I feel like if it's class D and solid state, it probably matters less on a bass than it would on a guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because a guitar, you you, you you know, if you're doing like crunch and saturation and stuff, stuff you almost yeah, wouldn't really do with yeah, the bass yeah, very yeah. often. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's my whole thought. Yeah, I, I fully agree. <laughs> well, like a lot of bands that I've been seeing lately, a lot, uh, uh, I would say the majority of the, of the bands that I've seen live lately are using those little tiny solid state heads that put out like 400 watts. Yeah. They they fit in your backpack with like a whole Absolutely. bunch of other crap also, and if they and they rarely break, and when they do, they're you know they're probably you just have another one in your backpack. Yeah, exactly. Or you can just you know you can probably fix it fairly easily. Whereas like a tube thing, like I've had great success with the little things, and yeah. I feel like I accomplish. I because I also like a lot of treble out of my bass. If I mean that doesn't even make sense. Sure does. I know what you mean though. But when I hit a bong, the overtones. Not I don't. Just the I don't just want to hear that. Big low end. I want to hear like a beep, 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 yeah, yeah. A little bit of fucking. It's got a body to it. Some body to it. A little bit of mid range, not necessarily treble. Some treble, but uh, I like it. Tubes, especially with the SVT, I find it so low that when I'm hitting a B, it just gets muddy. Yeah. Even if I have a clean like two twelve cap or an eight ten cap. No, I don't know if this is a problem you've had yet. Um, a lot of times music will roll off things under, you know, 50 hertz or whatever. Whereas the B string is like 32 hertz, I think. Do you find that it gets lost in a recording? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why my new recording is uh, just on four string. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, if When I was using an active Ernie Ball, I found it could control it better. I could get a better uh, tone out of it. Mm-hmm. But still, it just... This album I'm putting together right now is all on a four string, just for the fact that I know I can tap on every string and I can, you can get hear clarity. Every yeah. Clarity, I just get clarity. Mm-hmm. But I love. I mean, even if I have a five string just to hit those low, you know, mm-hmm. five. I think in those cases you kind of rely on overtones to imply the note if the fundamentals gone from the recording. Yeah, and especially if if the drums match and I'm going boom. Psh, boom, boom, psh, get some big cymbals with it. You can really create a lot more uh, texture. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, I'm moving to a four string just because I've been so low for so long. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ryan? What do you what do you got for gear? Is that all that you, kind of what you have in your arsenal? Just a there? whole bunch of bases and pretty basic recording gear. I got yeah, it. that's that's, and I'm and you, other, I'm cozy with that, very cozy. With right. That. And I, Ryan, other than your recording gear, like you got what instruments are you? Well, I got a stupid amount of what was intended to be house instruments for right, the studio. For the studio. Yeah, it's so, an eight hundred pound. Uh, yeah, eight hundred pound tape recorder. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> how did you move it into your fucking house? It never has been in my house. That's how. It's in storage. It's in storage, man. It's still on a truck. Pump carts only. <laughs> Pump carts. Shit. Yeah. Let's it, do something with it, man. I would love to, but I'm afraid to... T- Here's the thing. Once it's out of the crate, you know, now it's on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm Right now, it's easy to move. But once it's out of the crate, it's not easy to move. Right. So, I mean, it has wheels on it, so I guess it has that going for it. But, you know, I don't want it to roll down an incline, and I can't do anything about it, you know? <laughs> when it's um, that big. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, but, yeah, I've got a stupid amount of... I've got five drum kits. Um, I've got... So, I'll start from the oldest and work towards the newest, I guess. Um, I've got a circa 1960, uh, Ludwig transition badge, which is basically the same construction as Ringo's kit before Ringo had the kit. Hmm. Um, it's a mahogany poplar rounded bearing edge. Um, I've heard it, um, I, I lent it to a coworker who was in a Beatles cover band. So I got to hear it in that context and it sounded pretty fucking awesome. And that was a fucking steal. I got that for under a thousand, hmm. mostly because you know you inspect it too much. Uh, it doesn't look too pretty, but the shells are, the shells are intact. Yeah, who gives a shit? At some point, somebody drilled a hole in it to mount something, but it wasn't enough to affect the sound. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a good find. Um, next newest would be, I'm gonna say probably I, I've got a Sonor teardrop, like probably around sixty three ish. I would think it is. Wow. Um, really. Yeah, so that's, that's are those German made? Yeah, so that's the thinnest shell drum kit I have. Like to the point where the drum isn't really a cylinder anymore; it's almost like <laughs> stop sign shaped. But um, it, not that it matters. Like really? I, I knew I was in love when I just tapped the top Super with my cool. finger. I'm like, cool. that sounds cool. fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's also rounded bearing edges uh, made of beach uh, reinforcement rings. Next one, next newest would be a Rogers kit from probably about '65. Is that from Toronto? Cleveland, uh, Cleveland era, not not Rogers uh, Communications. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is Rogers, the the, the defunct drum company. Uh, <laughs> you said that's some this old is, gear, though. This like, is not Ted Rogers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ted Rogers, that, great drummer. That was on purpose. So yeah, Rogers were kind of the pioneers of the forty-five degree bearing edge. So it kind of, even though it's a '60s kit, it probably sounds more like the '70s. Hmm. And I think they kept that construction for a while. Um. And then what do I have after that? I've got uh, mid '90s uh, Premier Janista Birch kit, which I'm eager to hear because I, the skins that it has on it are not the ones I would pick mm-hmm. for that. So <laughs> I, I, I need to get some new skins. I thought you were eager to sell. No way! No way! That thing is fucking mint, and it's got a great color too. Fuck! It's like this uh, burgundy kind of thing. Um. Yeah, that one's, and it's like a stupid amount of pieces. I got a good deal on that one. Premieres are a fucking steal. Buy Premier drums. Um, <laughs> Premier. Yeah, because nobody here knows about them, but they're fucking quality. But when I say buy Premier, I don't. I mean, don't buy the new ones made in Taiwan. I mean, buy the original ones bought in England. He, mean, England. he meant buy the ones in Taiwan. I mean, some of the Taiwan ones are f- probably fine, but they're not like, you know, they're not the ones. No. Anywho, yeah, then the next one I have <laughs> is uh, a Ludwig 
Oh, so this one's probably, I'm going to guess it was made around 2010. Um, a Ludwig, God, what the fuck are they called? Keystone. Keystone. Yeah, so that's a oak maple construction with a double 45 degree bearing edge. So that's kind of like somewhere between vintage and modern, but I, I, I find them really versatile. I bought them kind of on a whim because I just needed a kit for live shows and it just turned out that it sounded awesome by accident. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, we joke that it's the Tribe Called Quest kit because it has the red and green color in, on the wrap. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, that one is in Sean's basement right now and has been for a while. Um, yeah. And, um, and then you've got a bunch of guitars and stuff too, right? Because obviously you're talking about doing a studio, so you've got some, some nice acoustics that you... Yeah, you so I recently bought a 1977 Guild D25M, which I fucking love. It's, mm. it's got this weird purple hue to it because they like, dyed the top spruce. Maybe it was a subpar mm. looking piece of spruce, but yeah, it, yeah. it sounds fucking great. There's no bracing on it. It's got kind of a rounded back. No bracing. No bracing. I think the, the way they did that was they made the domed back. Not like ovation style dome, but like mm -hmm. kind of rounded a little bit just to give it a little bit more structural integrity. Mm -hmm. um, it was considered the budget guitar at the time. What used to be budget is different than today's budget. Oh, absolutely. Like, um, you know, they, they didn't make cheapo guitars for folks that just want to dip their toe in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like they're like, yeah, you're, you're, you're making an investment here. Well, it's the same with like a lot of companies, like even like, like Gibson right now. Well, even Gibson since the mid well, I guess since 2010 and up, they've made these, uh, it could even be a little bit earlier than that even, like the studio line and stuff yeah. like that, right? Like the studio line are still good guitars. Yeah, like well, I have oh, two, where it's more like function over aesthetics. Yeah, I, yeah. I have two studios and they both sound great and they're, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just, they don't have binding and they're a little bit, yeah. you know, quote unquote cheaper to produce, but they're yeah. still great instruments. Absolutely. You know? Well, um, Gibson, <clears throat> I have one actually. Uh, they had a, they have one line right now the, or the elitist line which is made in Japan. It's technically with the American hardware mm -hmm. of a Gibson, mm -hmm. but it's made in Japan. They call it the Epiphone Elitist. I have the Epiphone Elitist ES335. Um, it's, you know, if you were to compare it with a regular ES335, um, there are some differences, like the number of plies on the top is different. But I even think real ES335s have gone through a few iterations where they change that anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it sounds a fucking beaut. Like, uh, yeah, when I first picked it up, I went to, I feel like it was a guy who was in a band in the 60s or something. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, mine's made made in 2004, so it's not like from the 60s or anything. They don't they don't make that model right. anymore. I think now they have Epiphone Casino Elitist. Made oh, in Japan, I see. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the same, but with P90s, I guess. I didn't know they were making guitars in Japan. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's Tokai or one of those that making it on, under contract, but they're, mm -hmm. they're well they're well made. Very well made, Nit hmm. like nitro finish, all that. It's not, uh, it's not cheap, hmm. and it's got the American various things. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking good. And where was I with that? Oh yeah, when I first picked it up, it to me it sounded like I don't know if the, the original songs in the is three thirty five, but it sounded like the opening guitar on uh, "I'll Be Around" by the Spinners. I'm like, yes, that's the sound I wanted, so right. I bought it on the spot. <laughs> Yeah, how specific it, is you can that? know. It's amazing how quickly you can know if you're going to buy an or if you want to buy an instrument or not. Like just by hearing it for yeah. a couple of minutes, you're like, "Yep, that's the one." Absolutely. And sometimes it's even a feel thing. You just pick it up, and you, before you even plugged it in, you can yeah. tell that it's going to sound good just by the way it's resonating in your hands, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And I was I was telling uh, a significant other this the other day. 
how uh, Neil Young said it, and I just, it just, yeah, I feel it too, is uh, when you pick up an, a guitar, it's like there's some songs in that guitar. And you pick up a new guitar, like, for, and it's just like, maybe you can rip four songs out of it within a week. And then maybe it runs dry, and then you pick up another guitar. And maybe you mean like it has to be begging to be played, kind of thing. Like you, something about it. You look at it, and you're like, I want to play that right now. Yeah, it's like a new relationship. It's just like so full of emotion. Yeah, you run through and these. you can just get something out of it. It's just something magic. I go through phases with all my guitars, and I have like I probably have six or seven guitars yeah, right now, and I always nah probably like eight, but I always. I'll play different ones at different times. Like for a while, yeah. I'll play this one guitar for a week or two weeks, and then I won't look at anything else. And then all of a sudden, I'll put it down, and I won't play maybe for a couple of days, and then I'll pick something else up, and that'll yeah. become my new sort of inspiration for the next couple Absolutely. of weeks. Absolutely, I, and I think it's a, the build, the where your hand sits. Yeah, I think certain guitars facilitate certain songs. Yeah, oh, just totally. when you pick it up, and it's like I want to play this just because this is where I feel comfortable or just natural weight to it. It's yeah. so having a lot of gear is a super cool thing. Having, and I was thinking about this upstairs. Uh, it's like, you don't buy every book you read, but like you can go to the library and fucking rent those mm -hmm. fuckers. And then you do that along with Quaid. You I, can do that at other music stores. Actually, but, apparently you don't have to rent them. You can just borrow them. Steal them. You can steal them. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the last time I rented a library. But I rented a book. Or even borrowed one for that matter. <laughs> you hand them cash when you... Uh, <laughs> they look I don't understand, librarian lady. Why are you not taking my money? She's just like... Shh. Trying to force it into her pocket. <laughs> I'm not taking this book for free. Listen, I'm... I'm deep, uh, what is this, like seven Coors Originals, not Banquets anymore. <laughs> yes, you've been renting drinking a lot of books. the yellow I've cans. I've been renting a lot of books. Have you, re <laughs> you rented a beer? <laughs> <laughs> you don't buy beer, you rent it. I feel bad, I got with a hard case yeah. of piss. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you guys too, while we're on the topic of gear, like how do you feel about, no, neither one of you guys is really uh, you know, a guitar player. I know, like, Ryan, you're more of a drummer. You're more of a bass player, John. But how do you guys feel about analog uh, amplifiers? Because I know, like, you're talking about analog gear, like recording tape. But what's what do you think the future is here of, of analog amps with tubes? Because I'm a tube guy. There is yeah. no there is no so modeling amps in my house. There's no digital anything. It's, my view of that is analog gear becomes obsolete not nearly as quickly in Technically, never becomes obsolete. Never. Like the sound. Never. Whereas digital stuff, I mean, some digital stuff has a character to it, but it, people tend to, you know, lose their excitement about it because, you know, mm -hmm. the digital world moves faster. Yeah, something new and better comes out. You're like, oh, now I need that. Yeah. Whereas, like, a Marshall JCM 800 or 900 from yeah. way back in the day is like, still great now. And, and then also interfacing changes, right? I mean, it, you know, if it, if it's just a digital processor, but a, you know, uh, analog speaker out, okay, you can work with that. But let's say, you know, it has some interconnect, some yeah. piece of digital gear has an interconnect that's now obsolete. How are you going to plug that into the next thing, you know? Right. Um, yeah, it, it just, I don't know, I feel like you're, and then sometimes when, you, when you're when you in the plug-in world of amp simulation and stuff too, um, it seems cheaper, but you might end up buying the same plug-in over and over again as you upgrade it when you could have just bought the amp once. Right. Um, what but, bothers me about the whole thing is, like a like a company like Marshall, even they've like started putting out like more like uh, modeling amp 
things, right? Yeah. Because they know people kind of want that. They want the more onboard effects and all that kind of crap. Absolutely. And it's more of a uh, fun. <laughs> crap. More of that kind of crap. I see well, that. it is I crap see that kind of me because you could do all this stuff. I mean, it used I to be that you, you have absolutely. to buy a whole pedal board worth of pedals to make those sounds. Now you buy one amp for six, five or 600 bucks and it's got a 12 inch speaker built into it. It's a combo and it's got d- digital delays and yeah. reverbs and all this other stuff, and in, which is great. cheap too. You yeah. Know what I mean? Well, that's what I mean. Like five or 600 bucks versus a tube head only. Yeah. That's going to be a grand or 1200 bucks minimum. But at the same time, like to me, it's, it just, it's pushing away from the days that I remember of really good tone coming from analog gear. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also like, Yeah. Um, and I worry about the manufacturing of tubes as these manufacturers like Marshall and these companies go to more digital, like, are they going to start making less tube amps? And if they do that, are the tubes going to stop being manufactured at some point? Today's tubes are inferior to the new old stock tubes. I believe it. And they made a lot of new old, they made a lot of tubes back in the day, like more than they needed, which is why you could still get them. Yeah. But that's going to, that supply is going to dry Yeah, it's going to dwindle. Unless somebody decides to up their game in tubes. Yeah. Which could happen, but I mean, the demand's not nearly, like, the world ran off tubes before transistors. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, like, 90%, no, more than 90%, like, 99.99999% of what you, tubes used to be used for is all transistors now. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty much just, like, the the music world, right? Yeah, like, that's the only thing that cares about tubes these days. Like, old <laughs> stereos, old hi-fi kind of systems, yeah. and, and guitar amps, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think what, what you're describing, though, that that amp with all the bells and whistles built in, you're not going to be excited about that amp in 20 years. No, um, but that's what I, drives me nuts about it, though, because that's what the market's demanding right now. Because people want things that are cheap that do, that do well, all. Doesn't that fit in with the with the uh, ethos of the time? You know, fast and cheap and disposable. Yeah, and, and what what big bands are coming out playing these? You'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised. It is all, right. Here's another thing about digital that analog does not have. Analog moves at the speed of electrons through metal and, you know, magnetic fields and all that shit. I, Whereas, like, all digital gear has latency. Yeah. It, you may not perceive it, but it does. And, it, and you might be, you know, we're, we're talking, like, a few milliseconds. Yeah. That could be enough for your sound wave to be now out of phase with what you're actually doing. And I think another part of that is like, maybe on these, some of these amps is, uh, the fact that you can find you out of this amp that has like 30 settings, maybe you can pull one usable setting out of it. You know, like maybe one clean out of it mixed with one. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, a battle, especially yeah. when you think when you're asking about what's going to be in the future. Yeah, like I, I'm just I keep wondering to myself, what like could when be are next? we going to when are we going to stop being able to to get to like when am I going to stop being able to get tubes for my fifty one? Well, well, I will or, say some digital yeah, gear yeah. achieves classic status. People still like old <clears throat> Lexicon reverbs from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Now you can get it as a plug in now, but I mean people like that. Same with uh, you know. SP twelve hundred as a sampler. But that's a digital effect, I, though, I, right? Honestly, that's a digital effect. I used to like having sex with real women, but now I like having digital sex only. With real dolls, like digital women. real dolls. <laughs> they don't complain. The well, latent, still, there's a little bit of latency. They don't move. <laughs> but you know when I'm done, I can just literally just like like throw them down a hill and they just disappear. Like the digital amps of today. Yeah, like. Yeah. But then you gotta drag them back up the hill. <laughs> After like twenty minutes, I'm like, <laughs> unless you have a pile at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you want to? What are we gonna do here? What the fuck are we gonna do here? 
don't know. Well, so, like you were talking about, like you, you just said, like, you know, what big bands are coming out with this stuff. But there's a lot of big bands now that are playing. Like, I remember back in the day, the only band that had digital uh, gear on stage was Evanescence. That was the only big band that I knew of that had, they were using Line 6 amps. And I was like, that's stupid. That you know Yamaha, what I mean? I was so pissed. Yamaha owns Line 6 amps. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, ultimately, the rule of if it sounds good, it is good. Should win, even though I know there's certain things that that's what people tell me, but it just there's certain things that irk me on a philosophical level. But it's like, well, maybe it does sound okay, though. All right, when you're talking about uh, what do you see for future sounds, right? I here's what I'm thinking, right? You know how like advertisements are completely directed, they try to like algorithm type shit, yeah, yeah. I I feel like and in the same way you get like a music program where there's built-in drum kits, mm-hmm. built-in, I feel like in the future there's going to be songs that are be put out just personally to you. Oh, and AI it, could do it exactly based on what you like. Exactly, I've been listening to this type of music. It's in four-four time with this basic chord progression lyrics that are kind of like this feel. I feel like yeah. we might get ass fucked with this shit theoretically there's no reason why an ai couldn't write a song better absolutely than absolutely in the you know our have brain, they had already done that didn't they give some ai like a bunch of music and say like try to compose something yeah and it it's, still in a, it? it's still in its infancy and it was you know it was okay-ish i feel like this could be like a uh a large-scale built for you kind of thing Build. I mean, like a build for you thing. Like it delivers what you want, what your brain would say is the best sound for kids who don't know about music or don't appreciate. Music. Yeah, I think you for like I mean? the future generations, you're definitely going to see some of that for like the pop radio kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, but yeah. I, th- I think there's always going to be humans making. Well, yeah, there's still a context-based thing that the computers are going to miss because they don't live human That's lives. That's right. They don't yeah, have yeah. the inspiration. In, that we have. Maybe that was give importance to like punk or rap, where it's yeah. like, "Fuck you," yeah. that feeling. Yeah. Which can never be fully... Uh, yeah, you can't you know. recreate that with... Yeah, it's got to be computer. Parts or, of it. Yeah. I, I, you know what? Though I'd say anything could be at least partially written this way and then maybe finished by a human. Right. But Taylor Swift, do you mind just getting on here and say, fuck you, the system? Do you mind <laughs> saying, fuck you, the system, Taylor Swift? <laughs> that sounds exactly like the kind of song she'd put out. She might. <laughs> you <laughs> never know these days. I think her style switches quite, quite often. She was in Cats. Is she? I was in cats. I kind of want to see cats on mushrooms. On you're talking about the new the new cats? Yeah. Uh, no, actual, lose, ca- actual cats. Didn't that lose? <laughs> no, no. I, I don't mean. I mean the Broadway <laughs> play versus. Uh, I want to go to the Humane Society and just kind of just fucking look at cats. <laughs> this movie's crazy. <laughs> Apparently, that movie like just shit the bed at the box office. Oh yeah, insanely. It's, like it's going to be a classic for the wrong reasons for yeah. sure. It lost like three hundred million dollars like that at the first like opening. They might get it back in uh, post possibly theatrical life. I was watching, you know, like some epic movies where they have like interviews while people are like filming it, and they're just like like the Titanic. They're like, "This is an amazing scene. We're in this beautiful ship. You can see all the chandeliers, and we're just about to do the scene." And it's like talking like that, but they're all dressed as cats. And you're like, <laughs> you could have looked in the mirror before you went out there and talked on this. I thought you were going to say something about how for the press tours, they have to pretend like the movie's good. <laughs> same, same thing. Same thing. Oh, yeah. It's a wonderful, uh, I'm really proud of the director. So, Ryan, how do you like working? Uh, you know, I get up, I have to work because I have to make money. But other than that, like, I fucking hate work. <laughs> 
Like, my boss is an idiot, you know? They make me wear a uniform or some shit. <laughs> I have to dress up like a fucking cat. Like a cat. That sounds pretty good. Though. That would be awful. I can't even imagine... Being a furry for a living? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine what those people... What were they thinking making that movie, I wondered? Did oh, they think this is going to be the best thing, they, and then it turned out to be the biggest flop? They had their eye on the fucking prize. It's really hard to turn oh. a Broadway play into a movie, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, love, just don't do it. I love a good train wreck as a movie, though. I, yeah. well, if, they, if it's, like, amusing. <clears throat> a lot of them become called classics, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's possible, too. Cats. Cats might be the biggest movie of the future. Yep. Forget it. Everybody so. goes to the movie theater dressed like cat. Like they sit on the fucking like sheets. Like it'll be the most expensive the room of all time. <laughs> the room. Just wasting your... Oh, shit. What crazy-ass movie. Have you seen Miami Connection? I I, have, I tell everybody that they have to see this movie. <laughs> no. Very few, very few have taken out the offer. Ask, ask Matt about Miami Connection. Miami Connection. What, I told him to watch it, and he did. And then I asked him how... Halfway through, like, how are you liking it? He's like, yeah, I never want it to end. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a little brief description. So it's about a Taekwondo band. <laughs> taekwondo band. A band? The, the, the year's 1987. They're a Taekwondo band. And, uh, you mean like a band of guys that do Taekwondo together, not like a band that plays music that also do Taekwondo? Their songs are about Taekwondo and they do Taekwondo on stage. <laughs> they actually do have a band, yeah. like a musical band. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think they meant like a band of people, like a no, band no, of they're, brothers. They're, they're a big hit. Anyway, yeah, so somehow there's like these motorcycle ninjas and the drug trade in Florida, and somehow this band is an obstacle for some reason for them. So Motorcycle like, ninjas in Florida? Yeah, so they vow revenge on the band, and, and then the band that the. That, this band replaced uh, is also vowing revenge. So they th- that other band joins with the motorcycle ninjas and hilarity ensues. I don't know. It's pretty good. I, I, it sounds like it definitely sounds like something I would watch. I'm not gonna lie to you. I might like to see that just for the unintentional comedy of the whole thing. Oh, it's it's a treat. What uh, what else? Sapphire Girls. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because we are coming up to the two hour. Hell! Oh dear. So I try to cut these things off at two hours because we we get sort of into a rambly. And I know some people like to hear that, but I don't know how many people are going to listen to this. To be honest with you, so we shouldn't torture them. My mom's already listening to it. She's already. She's already got it. She's actually hiding behind that. I was going to say some type of a live stream. My mom's right behind there. Those those photo those photo lights that I bought and never used. Other things I want to talk about. One so thing. you got new music coming? You said you're, you're working on sort of a follow-up yeah. to the Tremendous Gentleman. My album. goal is to release music every two years for the rest of my life until I die. Hmm. Well, that's a pretty good goal. I feel like that's a realistic goal. And sure. What if you die one year after you release something? <laughs> pre- pre- prepare for the ghost. <laughs> Your whole life's a waste, do you have John. To, do you have to like be resurrected a year later? To <laughs> make I it? assume you're going to marionette me. <laughs> a Weekend at Bernie's situation? <laughs> yeah. Whatever I got to do. Uh, yeah, music next, uh, next, this year. Where can they find Tremendous Gentlemen? What, there? it's on all the streaming platforms, I take SoundCloud, it? SoundCloud, I, honestly. SoundCloud, Spotify? Back to the, my not knowing what to do with, uh, computers. SoundCloud. Okay. Uh, that's the root of all evil. With, with the next thing, I don't even think I'm gonna have the same name behind it. It's just gonna be, you know, another, another thing. Yeah. When I tell you what's up, you... Well, the name behind it is up. is John Elder. And then, like, Tremendous Gentleman is pretty much just the name of that album, yeah. right? I wouldn't yeah. say that's a band name. Like, you don't really have no. a band, per se. I, I said I was going to call it John Elder. Call the album John Elder? And then Matt said, 
You should call it Matt Elder. <laughs> sounds like Matt. That sounds like something Matt would say. You should have a song called Joe Elder. Please do. Other than that, all I gotta say is I hope Can everyone it? listening listens to the actual band, the band. Uh, look up Rick Danko, uh, Unfaithful Servant. That is... Can you please make a song about how you announce to the world that you like girls? Oh shit, Carmen Electra. Yeah, <laughs> one day you're just like, I'm going to announce it, I'm going to put a Carmen Electra poster on my bedroom wall, and uh, now everybody knows that I like the ladies, you know? Now everyone knows <laughs> that Carmen Electra's ass is kind of my commander-in-chief. <laughs> Why Carmen Electra? Just because she was the... She, she had a real sassy poster I got from the It store. Oh, I see. <laughs> next thing you know... The It store. R.I.P. It store. Now we're really dating ourselves, the It store. The hell of a store that was. Ryan, what are you going to say? What am I going to say? What are you going to say? I'm going to say, man, I bought a dude drive uh, sign with Bart Simpson on it at the it store. <laughs> Pretty classic. I know, man. Simpson's lava lamps and, and fake the, poo. And Yeah, and uh, wrapping paper that says, oh shit, it's your birthday, and it has like <laughs> shit, shit on and it. And they always had that one sexual corner in that store. Which yeah, yeah, the real weird. Birthday cards. The party. Maybe a oh, yeah. girl with lace, wearing oh, lace. Edible, and maybe edible undies. Fuck, that, that <laughs> section of the place really got me going. I still haven't, I still haven't <laughs> eaten edible undies, so I don't know. Oh. I think they're made of fruit roll-up material. Are they? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> See, for me personally, I still eat unedible undies. I feel like those, those get eat, sticky. You eat underwear like a, anyway? Like a goat. I yeah. feel like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like edible undies, if they're fruit rolled little material, holes, that, that would get sticky while you're wearing them. It would. <laughs> it would, and also while you're eating it, it would be... Yeah. But remember I mean, when you used to wrap the fruit roll up around your finger and eat it like a like a suck, and then it would like glue itself to your finger? Yeah. Yeah, that's disgusting. It's probably exactly what the edible underwear would do. Yeah. You're just pulling hair? Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> On that note, thank you guys so much for being here. This was a, uh, a fun time. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad this is the first one yeah, back. Yeah, really a little bit. Great. We had a little bit of a rough time getting it going at the start because of nerves, but I think these coors really helped you loosen up, John. Oh, I'm, I'm loose. <laughs> I'm loose. So I hope uh, I hope you guys had a good time. I, I enjoyed it, and yeah, I hope we can do it again. Maybe next time you release some music, we yeah, can talk about it again. Ryan, if you end up getting your studio in oh, place, yeah. I would love to do one of these to talk about the setup. It only weighs 800 going. pounds. Yeah, the, the <laughs> main recording piece recording, you're only, <laughs> well, only that's, weighs... That's one part of it. It, it weighs nearly a ton, but it's fine. It's Well, if you add the stuff all together, it's definitely over 1,000 pounds. Jesus. Because I have other things. That's a heavy studio. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's not portable. It's not for, like, you know, flimsy floors, that's for sure. That's for damn sure. You wouldn't want it up in this house anywhere. Oh, no. You, you don't want the one-ply staircase and go down that, That's know? right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fellas, thank you very much for uh, for being here. I appreciate your help. I know we kind of threw this together last minute, and I wasn't as prepared as I could be, so I apologize for that. But uh, thank you for all you listeners who are tuning into this. If you're listening to this right now, I appreciate it. Um, check out the Facebook page, like it, um, and go to SoundCloud. That's where you can catch the podcast, but you can also pick it up on iTunes and on the Play Store. And I'm hoping to soon have it onto Spotify and a lot of those other um, uh, digital listening platforms to make it easy for everyone to find. And like and share, uh, please, to help me uh, get this thing going. I, the last time I did this, I only did five episodes and then it crashed, and I'm really hoping to uh, to continue that on further. So, again, like, share it. Um, and we'll get uh, putting out hopefully consistent content here over the next few months and see if we can make a go of this. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.